are people who carry all the wrong decisions that they've made in their backpack, full of behaviors that are not healthy. To be able to live this minute right now without the burden of carrying around all the mistakes you've made. We all have a hall of shame. Don't carry it with you. Let it go because that drags you down. It will drown you. You're listening to Find the Good News, episode 116, The Burdensome Backpack, a road trip episode featuring Mickey Shannon of Resource Management Services. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. After a much-needed summer break, Find the Good News is back with a special road trip episode. It had been quite a while since my last road trip recording, and while I didn't have to travel far to meet my guest, it was still refreshing to be out of doors. In this episode, I got to visit with Mickey Shannon under the great blue sky at Preon Lake Park in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Mickey and I share a common friendship with my high school speech teacher and dear friend, Alita Barnes, who, if you will recall from episode 33, has been more of a mentor than either of us realized at the time. I trust Alita, so when she suggested that Mickey and I make a connection, I did so without hesitation. This pre-existing bond is a direct link in the good news chain that led to my sitting across from Mickey on such a mild breezy day, months before the summer slog and bake weather moved into southwest Louisiana. Mickey is the CEO and President of Resource Management Services, a business that has been providing behavioral health services in Southwest Louisiana for over 25 years. Like most of us, Mickey is much more than her official title, although after sitting with her, it was very easy to see why she was called to service in her particular field. Honestly, this wasn't the first time I'd sat down to visit with Mickey under the clear blue sky. Not too long ago, she invited me to the peaceful bayou that borders her property to dig iris flowers to transplant around my small lotus pool. On that day, we sat on the grass of her front lawn and had an incredibly friendly, peaceful visit as well. Mickey is an artist, and if you seek out her works, you'll find a comforting blend of local creatures and fauna, as well as a healthy dose of spiritual vision. It is clear to me that Mickey wants to improve the quality of the lives she comes in contact with, whether it be those in her close circles or in the larger rings surrounding her community. Whatever you want to call this method of moving through life that Mickey Shannon has adopted is probably fine with her. She doesn't seem to concern herself much with labels. Mickey is more intent on living as well as she can and being a blessing to others using her gifts and resources. I'd like to believe that there are more people in this world like Mickey, especially in my community. She's a reminder to me that even if I don't see them, they are out there. That gives me a strong dose of comfort and resolve to keep taking these little trips to meet with people just like her. That gives me a strong dose of comfort and resolve to keep taking these little trips to meet with people just like her and then sharing those conversations with you. Now, it's time to get out of doors, get out of your head, and take a little drive with me. Turn the wheel towards the good heart I found in Mickey Shannon. Then press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear The way it's going Cause you're laughing in your sleep On the path to your deliverance And a holy world of light Pouring through your window Old news, bad news, fake news Sometimes you want to hit the road and get away from it all 
With Find the Good News Road Trips, I get behind the wheel and seek out good people doing good works. I travel the highways, byways, and back roads to seek out artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to the places and spaces that hold meaning for them. In each episode, I journey into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have down-to-earth conversations about relatable things going on in their lives and in their communities. I uncover the critical life experiences that shaped them, the environments that nurtured them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news on the open road. My name is Oren Parker, and you're invited to take this road trip with me to find the good. today turned out to be you couldn't yes. ask for better southwest louisiana weather maybe maybe a few degrees cooler i might if i had a wish it's good yeah. i mean it, it's perfect really yeah. and you said that this place does not necessarily connect with me but you know before this was pre Lake park it was owned by some folks that I've known all my life. Oh, really? And they had trailers here. It was a trailer park, and they oh, sold it. I didn't know that. And we used to come here because it was such a nice, big, gracious space and have Easter morning sunrise services. Really? Yes. Out here? Right here. Wow. Right. That's interesting. So, um, you Well, know, I was connected to this place in a way, not really before it was a park, but... I, Many years ago, in one of my advertising incarnations, I worked at another company, mm-hmm. and we did the branding here. So I designed the logo and all of the signage that takes you around the park. Yeah. And they were just planting the trees, and like all these paths were staked out. And there was so when we first came out here, they were you know we were walking through. It was more like a blueprint. It's like yeah, this is going to be a little amphitheater, and there's going to be a fountain here. So early, early stages and. We were, I was trying to come up with a logo, not knowing what it was going to be like. And, and you I, did come up with the yeah, logo? Yeah, yeah, the Prim Lake Park logo is the logo wow. that I designed. Yeah, so it has a little schooner on it with the sails. Your DNA is All these embedded. All the banners and the yeah. little signs. Yeah, that's all. It's kind of cool now, too, because these trees, many of them were just little strapped mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. saplings, you know. And oh, I was that's... thinking that this morning driving in. Yeah. I was like, God, oh, they're big now. Yeah. So what was that like? That would have been like 2005 or six. Mm-hmm. I think. Or, well, well, maybe somewhere more around like 2008 there. or 2009 when they really started breaking ground and doing the work, wasn't it? It's. It, I I don't really remember the mm-hmm. timeline. Yeah. I just remember being so surprised that they had sold the property. Oh, okay. And then, so much happened so quickly. It seems to me. Uh, and I was so excited that this is now public land. Yeah. Because yeah. when you when you have a place that is this pristine and open space for people to come and bring their animals and their kids, it's such a gift. It and, is. and it's so gracious of the city to or the parish or whoever paid for this, the taxpayers, to have a place like this. Yeah, I mean, for me, I like it. They get the kayak launch, which is mm-hmm. great. I don't have a kayak, I'm a canoeer, but it's the same situation. I mean, being able to launch into the lake. Before this, we used to have to kind of 
use whatever boat launch or find a little spot mm -hmm. and it's nice now there's more awareness that that's or it's just more interest in it in our mm -hmm. community i guess mm -hmm. and i like that now, i don't live close to here but it's not hard for us to get here you mm -hmm. know I, I think that parks are parks like this are super important i mean i mean they become sacred i know i have a park that i go to that's got that feeling mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. they're a little um it's a little oasis from the chaos Sometimes. Right, a place to breathe and hear natural sounds. Yeah. Well, this waterway kind of connects back to your place, it too, does. right? I mean, yes. you can take that. It sure does. Yeah. Right, right down the street and oh. around my back. I wanted to tell you, I uh, all the irises that you uh -huh. gave me from your property, they, they're all doing really well. Right. At first, they were shocked. You mm -hmm. know, that's how they do. The leaves all kind of wilted over, and mm -hmm. then all the new stuff started coming through. Now, they're not blooming yet. They're kind of going through that... Mm -hmm. Yeah, but when they do, when they do yeah. they'll be gorgeous. It's interesting because of the iris that I gave you, it seems to me that they have just multiplied exponentially, exponentially, and uh, they're gorgeous. Yeah. The purple is so uh, regal. I'm looking forward to it. I planted them around, I have this little lotus pool, mm -hmm. and I... Um, it's kind of a wild space around it. I did that on purpose. And then around that, I have stones, mm -hmm. and there was nothing around the stones. And so what I've done is I took the irises and I, I put them around it. So in the future, my idea would be that mm -hmm. eventually they'll just keep spreading Oh, and they will. There. You'll be shocked at how quickly they spread. Yeah. And I'll be curious to hear from you um, if they remain yellow or purple or white yeah. if they change colors because it's strange to me how Oop, you think you're uh, planting one and it comes up a different color and I don't know if it has something to do with the soil I don't know <laughs> that happened to me with some uh, conna lilies that I had got from the woods I went on a walk one day and there was I found a whole mess of them out there and I spread them around my property and they they're now they're quadrupled I mean they're everywhere but they were all orange but then right after the hurricane mm -hmm. I noticed a a yellow one coming out and it had like a spattering of red and I thought what an odd thing and just mm -hmm. in the midst of all these other ones that there's mm -hmm. this one mm -hmm. you know so just shot up yeah, yeah. Didn't isn't that make wonderful any sense. I know I it's so it. exciting yeah mother nature really has her own way of doing things it yeah. seems like after the hurricanes and you know the freeze everything that I thought was dead is alive yeah and with such just unbelievable presence and powerful color more than I think I've ever seen and I don't know if we have some kind of pixie dust because we've been through such a horrible year that we see things differently yeah I get what you're saying I mean looking you have to look for it I mean it's right and everybody's different I mean look that's the thing that I know some people have been kind of using the analogy of we're all in the same storm, but everybody's riding it in a different ship, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I get that. Some people are more insulated from suffering sure. and tragedies than sure. others. And depending on what you went through this last year and what your vessel was to ride mm -hmm. it out, you're going to look at that stuff differently, you know? Right. Some people are having smooth rides with insurance. Some people aren't. Mm -hmm. Some people lost their homes. Their next-door neighbor didn't. Exactly. It's just so random. It is. Know? It is random. And people like myself we had some damage but I have survivor's guilt 
I understand that. You know, because so many people that we love have lost everything. Right. I, I mean, have that. had to relocate, have had to just sell what they had, which was torn up and abused, and move to another state. And we've lost them from our lives. And yeah. Now we're here in, you know, it'll be hurricane season again in two weeks. Uh, They've know. moved the day Yeah, up. it's a longer season. I don't want to hear season. that. I don't want to hear that. I want to live now yeah. knowing that we have the resilience that we need as a people, which it seems to me that we do because even the worst case scenarios, people have had unbelievable attitudes about it's just stuff I can sink my roots deep and draw the strength to pick up the pieces and keep going one day at a time. Yeah. I've been amazed at the stories. Yeah, I have too. I I have to watch myself and be careful with that thinking too because I do want to, I say this a lot on this show, I want to find the good, but mm-hmm. I don't always. Sure. And, uh, you know, as soon as I hear a story like that or, or a version of that, right around the corner it seems there's another mm-hmm. it's somebody that just is in a completely different scenario right. where it's like they've been punched too many times mm-hmm. and you're going they, they've had enough and you can tell they've had Absolutely. enough because they're checking themselves into the hospital mm-hmm. or they're I mean unfortunately attempting suicide suicide uh, you know and I, I have had encounters with that where I'm like man some people are able to climb the rope and some people mm-hmm get to the end of the rope mm-hmm. and there's nothing and nobody there to mm-hmm. help them tie a knot. Absolutely. And it, it, you know, it makes a thinking person ask the question, what creates resiliency in people? Yeah. No, I know. Where does that come from? How come too. people who've lost everything can pick up and keep on going and others who have more than the average Joe can be so devastated because they've lost their stuff? I know. <laughs> I think about this a lot. I've been, I think my wife and I were kind of talking about this a little bit today, actually, on another issue, but it got me thinking, which is something I think about a lot, is how important it is to have something to live for mm-hmm. uh, that's not stuff. Absolutely. Whatever it may be, whether if you have children, mm-hmm. so make it about the children, but even that is something, they are something that could be taken from your loss, too. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's it's getting into that root of what is it? Like you said, what mm-hmm. is like that true base platform mm-hmm. that's resilient, that, that mm-hmm. builds someone's ability to put their feet on the ground in the morning and keep going? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that is. Well, I think, you know, I'm 70. How old are you? I'm 46. Okay. So a big difference in age. Yeah, yeah. But... I would say that it is the woundings Mm. that we learn from. Mm -hmm. We either learn uh, through the wounding to pick up the pieces, take, it sounds so trite, one day at a time, but truthfully, honestly, that's all there is. One breath at a time. Uh, I remember after Hurricane Rita, my husband and I were just so devastated and we changed from one day at a time to one breath at a time. Just breathe in, breathe out. Yeah. And um, I, as a young woman, I experienced some serious losses. I, I lost my first baby. It was stillborn. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's... And, you know, that was over 40 years ago. But I can get in touch with that loss in the mm, blink of an eye. It's interesting. You can go to it. Mm-hmm. Until that happened to me, I thought 
I was in control of my world. I thought that I could just make good choices and uh, schedule things and have an agenda and, you know, I could make things happen in my life and I was in control. So what, what I knew prior to the loss of that baby was completely irrational. It was, I can take care of me. I can't take care of me. Yeah, I that, see what you mean. That loss taught me that... Uh, I'm completely unable to control my world. Any thought that I can control my world is just a delusion. So um, it, it took a long time to pick up those pieces. But I thank God I grew up in a Christian home where my family um, was very serious about going to church every Sunday. We went to church in Sunday school. And I knew uh, I had been taught the principles of faith, that God loves you, God doesn't want bad things to happen to you, you know, those kinds of things that um, make your the ground that you're planted in very rich. And so one day at a time, I was able to realize God still loves me. This is not about anything I've done wrong. Um, I can learn from this. I can pick up these pieces. And one day at a time, I was able to begin to put my life back together. You're getting into something so interesting. I think about this a lot. And I don't know if it's a perspective that is comforting to people or maybe more terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I've heard both. Mm -hmm. But that's something that's always almost made me uncomfortable is when I hear somebody tell me that, well, that happened for a reason, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. or, or that was in God's plan. And it's something, a, t a tragedy. Mm -hmm. You know, you've lost a child mm -hmm. or your house burns down or you someone mm -hmm. dies of cancer. Your husband leaves you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Keep drawing rings. And mm -hmm. when I, I've always had this, and even as a young person, I was like, well, every time I draw a ring around my life, a bigger ring, and that ring intersects with the world at large, mm -hmm. I find suffering in every category of that ring. I find my human and brothers and sisters living in chemical wastelands on the other side of the planet. I find poverty mm -hmm. and famine and disease and war in places that I don't live. Are those human, is that in, is, so does that mean in a planned world, a planned out situation, does that mean that there's a higher power that's looking down and saying, well, these get to suffer, but you don't. Suffering doesn't come to you, it comes to them. <laughs> you're blessed they're not and so i left that mm -hmm. i just left that alone and i thought it didn't make me an atheist or anything right. like that but it just gave me more comfort to believe that there isn't a uh a plan like that mm -hmm. not that there's not a plan mm -hmm. but not a plan like that not in that very human particular perspective mm -hmm. Because it didn't make sense to me how one person could have a child in the hospital and they could fall on their knees and weep to the heavens mm -hmm. and their child could die. Mm -hmm. And then the person in the room next door to them could fall on their knees and weep to the heavens and their child doesn't, mm -hmm. but their love is the same. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's a rant, but well, I don't know if that makes any sense what sure I'm getting it does. at. That's the kind, that's the quality of questions that people who have a burden of conscience ask themselves mm. and struggle with 
and seek to find answers to because those kinds of questions well, they've haunted me all my life because I felt like, is this something I'm supposed to do something about? Is this something that's going to happen to me? Yeah, meaning. You want right, meaning, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Looking for meaning. Yeah. Well, to give you my perspective, and I'm not a theologian, I don't me know either. a whole lot about anything, to tell you the truth. I know a lot about, I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I don't know a whole lot about anything. I believe things happen because of laws of uh, the universe, gravity. Uh, Things happen because life is not perfect. And it's hard to express this, but I don't think God intends evil or disaster or bad things to happen to anybody. I really do not believe that. I believe God loves us and God is with us through anything that happens. Um, At the same time, there are laws in the universe. If you drop an apple, it's gonna fall to the ground. And there are universal things that we know. If a, for instance, if a woman chooses to drink after work and she gets into a car accident and kills someone, that's not God. That was human choice. And choice is the pivot point for everything that happens with us. Um, Whether you choose to make healthy choices or choose to be selfish, uh, whether you choose to value money more than you value our ecology, our world, every dynamic of our lives is about choice. And it's so easy to just forget that. It is, yeah. If you think of the choices that we have every day, the thousands of choices, it's unbelievable how much we infect, influence uh, each other, for good or for bad. But that's be, I feel that so strongly because I believe that God lives within each and every one of us. And those people who are awake feel that. They know it. They live it. They make choices based on a desire to do the right thing, to please God, and to be an example to people of the good. And the ways that we can influence each other for the good are just unbelievable. Just being an encourager, you know, just going to the grocery store and smiling at someone who may not have had a smile. Um, a friend of mine told me about being in the grocery store and she she's very concerned about COVID and very infection conscious. Yeah. But a little lady that worked in the grocery store was taking her break and sat down at the table with her and they just started a real simple little conversation. And after the conversation was over, the little lady that worked in the store came back to my friend and said, Connie, I want you to have this pen. It was a Crayola pen, big fat Crayola pen. She said, I appreciate you talking to me so much. And you know, you you go through something like that, you don't think anything of it, but that very little story 
is yeah. an example of the influence that we have and how we affect each other uh, so powerfully for good or for bad. Yeah. It changed her life that day. Yeah, everything you're talking about, I'm down with it. I mean, it's like that's something that I truly believe in because it can be proved too, not just mm -hmm. not just because it can be proved, but you can see it in play in the world is, is interbeing. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you're talking about, mm -hmm. that everything is playing off of everything else. Mm -hmm. And it, it, my son and I talk about this constantly because after we taught him the conversation, he's so young, he was like, oh, I never really thought about it, Dad, but... You know, I call it the wind, but I don't see it. Mm -hmm. And the only way it's proved is by what it moves, mm -hmm. you know, and the sensation on my skin. But beyond that, I can't see it with my eyes. I only see its mm -hmm. effects. And, and that's true. I mean, it's exactly what you're describing. We don't know what we're affecting always. And sometimes we're walking through the world unconsciously affecting right. so much. I mean, right. every day. I mean, to stay in a state of... Uh, awareness and mindfulness is very it's difficult there's so many mm -hmm. distractions that take mm -hmm. us out mm -hmm. as you and I talked about when we first got here how it would be nice if we could just make choices like today we've been blessed with a blue clear blue sky mm -hmm. good temperature a breezy day an opportunity to do something mentally healthy that would be healthy for us that's mm -hmm. what all this is it's to help it, it helps us mm -hmm. but we built a world through choices that does not allow the, that flexibility. And mm -hmm. it's a tragedy, really. Mm -hmm. uh, as a business owner, I, I, you know, I've owned a business for almost 30 years with three locations, and I see employees who are very, very faithful to their business, you know, to taking care of the mentally ill persons that they have responsibility for. And then at the end of the day, regardless of how their day has been, you know, they go home and take care of their families. They're healthy, healthy people. But then there are also those persons who are so driven, they can't stop what they're doing. You know, they work so hard. It's all about productivity. It's all about how much money you make. It's mm. all about driving yourself. And I would say to those, particularly women, who do what I call do too much, they can't stop doing, there's some pain that is hidden by being busy. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. For and so sure. as long as you're busy and you're doing important things, and I mean, what's more important than working with mentally ill people, you know, or working at the church or volunteering for Habitat for Humanity to the extent that you don't take care of your family? Yeah. What a worthy cause. Right. But you know, I think it was Mother Teresa that said, um, if you want to change the world, start start with your family yeah she said something like that yeah. I, she said you can find I, I read something like that that she said you know you can find Calcutta in your mm -hmm. backyard you absolutely know? your Calcutta yeah. might be right closer than mm -hmm. you think mm -hmm. I mean I was guilty of that honestly in my youth especially and that's something that haunted has haunted me even as a older person now I mean I when I was young I had these ideas about what it meant, what what my life-changing awakening, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I say it with jest because how funny to even say those words now. It's mm -hmm. it's so silly in a way because it's many times we wake up, you know, throughout our lives. But it was a one moment where mm -hmm. something happened that made a huge shift for me, a huge pivot. Yeah. And I thought that that pivot meant 
meant different things than it actually ended up meaning because mm-hmm. it didn't I ultimately didn't align some of my big navigational choices with that pivot mm-hmm. I aligned a lot of small things with it but none of the big um, the big choices mm-hmm. career mm-hmm. Um, marriage children where I live all these things none of those things were aligned with that pivot but 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 that those things were the rudder right those were mm-hmm. steering me into a particularly big stream and I look back and I think it's funny now because I'm okay with that I'm like because you can easily say oh I made an error here mm-hmm. my son asked me my oldest son asked me questions like that all the time he's like do you ever wish that you had done this and I said, well, then you're getting into some, like, like a time travel movie, mm-hmm. right? You can go, oh, well, if I went back and done this, mm-hmm. then I could have missed this particular stop and then this stop and then mm-hmm. this stop. All of those things grind on you and shape you and make you into something particular now. If you're healthy. Yeah. Yeah, if you're healthy, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put yeah. it. It's true to say that. Because there are people, uh, I really appreciate what you're saying. There are people who carry all the wrong decisions that they've made in their backpack. Oh, yeah. It's invisible, but it's there. That's and true. And they're critical and they're full of behaviors that are not healthy. And those are people who need therapy. Yeah, okay, yeah. You know, work to help work through those things or work with those things. To be able to live this minute right now without the burden of carrying around all the the mistakes you've made. You know, we all have a history. We all have a hall of shame. Yeah. Don't carry it with you. Let it go. And if you can't, get help. Yeah. I mean, as a mental health professional, I have to say that because that drags you down. It will drown you. Longtime Find the Good News listeners know that we often meander into topics on spirit, mysticism, religion, and wisdom traditions. If you are interested in these topics, I encourage you to seek out my new podcast, The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren. On The Dawn Deacon Podcast, I consider my small place in the whole of creation, asking the old questions that have perplexed human beings for ages. Why are we here? Is there a reason for our existence? How do we balm our sufferings? enlighten our minds, and awaken our hearts. Are there powers, energies, and realities just beyond our ability to comprehend them? On the Dawn Deacon podcast, I share the teachings, practices, and perspectives I have gathered as I've made my varied, sacred, ordinary way. I hope you'll join me at the Dawn Deacon podcast so that we can traverse this landscape together. Just search the Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren in your favorite podcast app or search engine, then subscribe. talk about that and okay. you brought up your businesses and we're talking mm-hmm. about mental health so where does that start for you like what talk about if you don't mind just talk about your businesses and how well, you've helped people and- okay um i am one of three owners of resource management services we're a mental health rehabilitation company um we have locations in lafayette lake charles and jennings and um we work with people to help them um find function in their lives, um, 
some there you know there's a huge um, scale of really healthy people really unhealthy people and we serve everybody in between but our goal is to help people be independent to live in their natural environment to uh, be as functional as they can possibly be if they need help with medication management or say children who are enrolled in school and need help with their behaviors we work on all those kinds of things and those services are offered through a program that Medicaid pays for. Oh, okay. Because these, That's good to know. Yeah. These are the only people that we can care for or work with. I hate to say care for because we're not caring for them. No, I understand. We're partnering with them yeah. to help them make healthy choices. Yeah. Um, those persons are persons who are really at risk of either out-of-home placement, like kids who are looking at being taken from home I just keep hitting the microphone <laughs> it's microphone um, awareness it's I'm, hard I'm trying after. to wake you up um, <laughs> are adults who are so sick you know that they may need hospitalization but we try to keep them from getting to that next step uh, we go to the homes kind of like home health in a sense under the Medicaid uh, services now we also offer regular counseling services okay um, so the Medicaid services are a whole different ball game that offer a much more intensive kind of service that you couldn't get with private insurance. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. There's yeah. things that I, having people in your life who are going through things like this, you, you do mm -hmm. sort of learn some of that. Mm -hmm. And I've said that many times, you know, as someone with private insurance, I couldn't get access to those right. same things. Right, right. Um, well, at least to the... I guess as many resources as mm -hmm. what I see. Right. I'm like sometimes astounded. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, there's so much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that gets into an yeah. insurance issue, like a whole nother, yes, a whole nother topic. It but does. yeah, it's, 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 it's yes. interesting. I'm actually surprised yeah. sometimes. So that's what we do. And if it's a child, we take children as young as six. We don't take them younger than that. Uh, but we, our folks, will go to the school system if the school system will allow it uh, create a family plan if needed so that the family and the teacher and all the people that are in that child's family group which we would include the teacher um, are all speaking the same language we're yeah. all trying to reinforce the same good behaviors and decrease the behaviors that are not socially acceptable those kinds of things yeah. so it's very intensive and very intimate um, it makes sense, and I, I've used this word on the show quite a bit recently because this keeps coming up, and it sounds holistic. I mean, you have to bring mm -hmm. in, as you said, because what I've observed is that you, let's just say we look at um, the child, mm -hmm. and then the child has problems, and you see it go on for many, many years, but the home is never addressed. Right. Uh, or what's maybe there's something happening at school that's never addressed or especially nowadays there's even more non-nuclear families mm -hmm. it could be many homes you may have one situation at one home and a whole different dynamic at another I mm -hmm. went through that with after my divorce with my children mm -hmm. you know there was two different um, we weren't aligned in our right. thinking, you know, and so my yeah. children were going through different rules at different homes and different right. ways of thinking and yes. different parenting styles. And I saw that affect my kids. I mean, I've seen it even yes. today. I see that play out. I go, there was, it, it changed them. 
unfortunately, mm-hmm. in, in, a bad, in bad ways. It left but some type you, of trauma. It gave you the ability to see what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. It, that pulling both sets of families together, which right. doesn't happen very often. Oh, no. I mean, I can see that because even during, mm-hmm. you have to have, I, I, this kind of gets into something related to something I went through when I went through divorce. And I have seen people after I went through my divorce that I, I I really advocate for this, but I did not see it work well. You have, it was mediation. Mm-hmm. You have, you have to have two people willing to bend when you go to mediation. Yes. If you're both rigid in mediation, it's, you're not, it's, it's futile. Right. It was, and it was a futile experience for me because I saw inflexibility and I was like, man, this, this, that, when looking back, and this is going back to what's in your backpack, as you said, mm-hmm. I look at that and go, yeah, that started in mediation with inflexibility, just the root of it. But the root of that was obviously the cause, it was the roots of the divorce as well, mm-hmm. which then transfers into inflexibility after the divorce takes place and scheduling and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting how it just rolls downhill and gets mm-hmm. into other people's lives. It really goes all the way back to when a man, let's say a traditional family, a man marries a woman, she's marrying her family, all the traditions of her family, the parenting skills of her family, the health or unhealthiness of her family right and all of that is ingrained in her and a lot of it in her backpack and you're bringing all of your stuff right and so two people are getting married who know very little about each other other than the fact that they really turn each other on and that's hardly uh the healthy base for a marriage right however that's what happens a lot so unless people are really willing to really learn how to communicate and negotiate and give in and keep their eyes focused on the needs of the kids. It's so hard. Right. You know, speaking as a mother, I had three kids. I was professional. I did a lot of outside um, service. I I was the good example of uh, the do-too-much mother Mm. until I finally realized, you know, it's my kids that are getting the brunt in. And so very early... Uh, I made a decision that I was not going to do anything after hours. That no public you. speaking, no going to meetings. No, I mean, I just dropped everything. Yeah. And my fin- friends were furious with me. You know, I got off all the boards and all that. But that enabled us as a family to stabilize the busyness. Yeah. And uh, just as an example, we started having Monday night family night, which meant it didn't matter if you had basketball practice or you had scouts or you had whatever after that was over you came home for family supper and we we actually did that until just recently and my kids are grown but i do think that sitting in front of each other having a meal uh talking about your day which most of the time was like well how was your day i was all right yeah no, I, I get that. Yeah. But there, there was predictability in the family. There was, um, you could trust. And I think trust is like the biggest word you can have in a family. I mean, there's love, but, you know, love is a bunch of other stuff. Knowing that I can go home and my mom's going to have dinner on the table. And 
She's going to give me lunch money. See, I'm all about the food. Um, I'm going to have a time where I have to do my homework. There's these expectations. My, All these things are going to be in place. I can trust that. Yeah, That's right. huge. Stability. Right. Some things that you can count on. Huge. It is, especially for young people. Right. Yeah. And, it, and it means sacrifice. It means the adults have to sacrifice a lot of what they really want to do because they're in the you know, the peak of their career, or they if they just do 10% more, they're going to beat out somebody else for this promotion. I totally get yeah. this. I mean, yeah. it's part of why I'm self-employed. I mean, mm -hmm. when we got into that, well, I'll say it like this, because, I mean, I have competitors who are successful that way, and I look at what it took to get there. I mean, mm -hmm. I've seen the lives that, that they've lived, and they have a lot of nicer things than we have, mm -hmm. and they have nicer homes and nicer cars. Um, and so by the standards that we measure success, they are more successful. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that I wasn't looking for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be nice to have that kind of stability or insulation. We're not, I'd say that's probably the word to use, mm -hmm. but uh, I've traded that for flexibility. I mean, I, when I, my kids need me, I can be there. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been able to spend the time with them mm -hmm. to show them that they are important. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a luxury that not everybody gets. Absolutely. I mean, Michelle and I were just Absolutely. talking about that today. I said, you realize that that's our true blessing that we get out of mm -hmm. doing this. It's yeah. not gains. Right. You know? Right. And I, I do feel, again, I, I'm see, I'm one of those persons, I feel guilty about things that I didn't do, but I just feel the guilt. So I have to work myself out of that. But I know that I had opportunity to be at home where I've had friends that two or three jobs, they had no choice. Right. And I understand that, I respect that. And you know, you hope with families like that, that the time that those moms or dads get to spend with their kids, that there is some quality conversation. You know what's interesting about this? And I mean, I, this is where I have to be really honest because I'm scared a listener would hear me, us talk about this and go, well, maybe if I, I just do that, it's gonna work out great. I have to temper that with the truth. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, even though we made those sacrifices, I still had trouble mm -hmm. with uh, and, and with, with, with children, too. Absolutely. That just, you go, yes. God, I did everything. I, I made all these sacrifices, and it actually just, some of those sacrifices, I might as well have just lit them on fire mm -hmm. because... It didn't work. It didn't work at mm -hmm. all. You mm -hmm. know, it's actually a deficit mm -hmm. in some situations, certain mm -hmm. scenarios, and so... That's the that's the joke. I mean, I'm smiling right now because I go, that's that's the that's life. Mm -hmm. You know, everything's and again, fine and everything and it goes burns all down. the way back in a spiral to choice because kids have choices. They do. They become autonomous at some point. And you hope for that. But I remember my son, my middle child, saying to me, "Mommy, you just want to control my life." <laughs> and you know, he was probably in like sixth grade. And yeah. I said, son, that is the last thing I want. I don't want to control your life. I want you to be independent and be able to make healthy decisions on a dime. Yeah. And not depend on me at all because one day I want you to be grown and married and have your own family. I don't want to control, but I want you to know how to stop and make a choice. Yeah. No, that's true. I, I get that. You know, that's something that... I don't know that I was given. I wasn't really shown that. Like, mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of choices I made with just, yeah, I guess in autonomy, you know, it was like, hey, I don't have any kind of rudder. There was no sense mm -hmm. of uh, anybody to guide me in those mm -hmm. situations. I just made choices. You know, mm -hmm. you just do the best you can with the information you've given. So right. it's kind of a harder way to learn sometimes. It definitely is. So when you're, when you're, lu you're, you're lucky if you have a parent or a mentor or somebody who just gives you a little yes. wing that they wrap around yes. you, not to protect you, but to say, hey, let me show you. You know, I, I've said this many times, and it's sort of related, but whenever I first met my wife, my current, my wife, Michelle, and there were things that needed to be done around the house, there were things I was going, gosh, I know my dad knew how to do these things. So when we first moved, whenever I first moved in and there were things to be done, I was like, okay, I don't know how to do this. Um, I know my dad knows how to do these things, but it was never shown to me. It was, he never taught me. So I had to kind of figure it out. And so I went to YouTube a lot when I was in my thirties. Okay. And I would learn how to do things. And I remember thinking one time how it's, there's probably a lot more people out there like me that weren't shown how to do certain things you know mm -hmm. and I, I wondered like I would imagine like what is it what would it have been like to have had that kind of relationship you know where your parents gonna say hey are you interested in this let me show you mm -hmm. uh, so I do that intentionally with my youngest boy especially mm -hmm. like he's very receptive and so I'll, I'll I've been buying him his own tools like every week we go get a tool and I'll say, well, let's make a project for us to do together and I'll show him how to do it. And what I've seen is by doing that, each each uh, successive project, he, he uses his tool differently. Mm -hmm. You know, he uses it with more confidence and then he wants to do more projects. And I thought, man, this is what this looks like. And I, it's new to me because what I didn't. What a gift. But it's such an interesting thing and it seems so simple. I'm sure there's somebody listening to this going, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. No, I'm sure there, yeah, there probably is. But in the same world, there are people that are saying, oh, dads teach that. There are dads that... I imagine that probably, there probably was a time, though, where, where mothers and fathers probably did more of that because mm -hmm. it was a necessity to do mm -hmm. it. I mean, there was no... Right. I, I was thinking about this with... I'm about to get off on a way big, take a big tributary here. But I was even thinking about this with like gardening and mm -hmm. fishing and just even things that you do around your home or just basic things that we do in this society. And I was like, you know, there was probably a time each before each generation you're thinking, well, there's no safety net right there's no safety net there's nobody going to pull me out of this if i fail there's no um you know guardian after the fact there's no all-seeing eye looking out waiting to catch you if you make a mistake if you run out of food there's you know now you we can run to the grocery store and there's something in plastic in the freezer you know well, there's always something frozen i can get but there was a time before that and when i start to kind of think about it that way i'm like yeah it was a necessity to teach each other useful skills you know it made sense because it's like well if you're going to survive in this world then you need to know how to do xyz because you can't there, there wasn't a business for every potential option out there i mean now you can hire somebody to do anything Mm -hmm. If you have was, money. If you have money. 
But even still, I mean, there had to be a time before that, before you could call somebody to cut your grass or call somebody to make the most minuscule repair or somebody to bring you a hamburger, mm -hmm. you know, wait, you know, waiter and things like that. And I just think maybe that might be what's going on too, is that we're just slowly getting more and more comfortable with there being safety nets everywhere. Well, you're calling it a safety net, a safety net, and I'm hearing convenience. Yeah, yeah, well, convenience, yeah, things yeah. are more convenient, right? But what and, happens when they're not there? Right, I guess you know, right. and that, that's where I see challenges in some young people. And I think still. what I'm seeing as you're saying this is, you know, we used to back a hundred years ago, there was the nuclear family who lived either with or next door to the grandparents, and when mom and dad were not able to do those things you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, grandparents were there to teach. Right. There was a safety net. There, uh, you did without, you learned how to do it, you were expected to help, which is all a part of um, creating a healthy family. Yeah, it's an organism. It's back to trust. Yeah. And the organicness of making everybody's needs met. Um, I mean, that's community. Right. That's what it should be. That's right. And so you learned these things because you didn't have a choice about it. If you didn't know how to cut the rice, there wouldn't be any rice. Right. You know, if you didn't know how to uh, darn your socks, you didn't have any socks. I was telling this to my son, and this was, again, a simple thing, but he just got his first car. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was making a list of all the things that he needs to keep in his car. And I was making that list the other night. In, but as I realized, as I was making the list, I was realizing I'm making this list for myself mm -hmm. because these are the things that I would keep, that I know right. that I would keep because I know how to do them. But I can give him a can of fix-a-flat mm -hmm. and uh, a tire patch kit, and then he could get a flat tire and not know what to do with any mm -hmm. of those things. So that list is, unless I show him. Yeah. And so I, so I told him the other day, I said, you know, I'm going to, now that you got the car, we're going to, this weekend, we're going to learn how to do the tire. The tire's not flat. And he was like, well, don't I have, um, don't we have some kind of roadside repair on the app on our insurance? And I was like, we do, mm -hmm. but I still think you need to know how to do this. And so, I was so interesting because I was like, God, but when I was his age, that wasn't, and I'm not blaming him. It's just right. the convenience. As you said, I thought that was not a thing. Well, number one, <laughs> we didn't have an app. We wouldn't have known no. what an app was. We hadn't. We didn't have a cell phone. We didn't <laughs> right. have Google. None of that stuff. But what you're sharing with him is not just technique. It's wisdom. It's that part of you that loves him, that wraps around him and says, yeah, you can get all that from a computer or from your cell phone, but I want you to know from my history what I know is important because I want you to have self-sufficiency yes. and to be able to take care of yourself I and don't... to be able to trust yourself not have to call somebody else but to trust to yourself that you can take care of yourself it's fear as I'm listening mm -hmm. to you say that uh -huh. it's all I keep hearing in my head is I don't want him to be afraid right because that to me was something that uh, I remember being, mm -hmm. even as an adult, when I, when I was going, oh my gosh, this problem has arisen and I don't have 
I don't even immediately don't know the answer. I have to figure this out. Mm -hmm. What you learn and the fear goes away once you try something. Mm -hmm. You you know, and as a parent, I feel like that's an important job for anyone is for any parent is to go, hey, help how can you especially in this world we're living in, how can you keep your kids from living in anxiety and fear? You just spoke some really eloquent eloquent words about fatherhood. Let me speak some about motherhood and fear. My uh, middle son lives in Austin. He has a degree. He has a master's in information systems technology uh, systems. Information science technology system. His wife has the same degree. They graduated from LSU. They're nerds. Just pure techie computer nerds. We can hardly have a conversation with them because we don't speak the same language. They had a baby. She had never held a baby until just a few years before, had no siblings that were younger, had no cousins, never experienced a baby before. My son had experienced it, but he was never interested in that. He was at the computer. They uh, live in Austin. Her family doesn't live there. None of our family lives there. Fear is, oh my God, these people are going to raise a baby. They don't know anything about it. They're going to have to Google how to breastfeed. You know, all those fears of a mother, I was worried sick about their baby. And yet there was, I couldn't go over there and be with them. Right. And the good news is they are like many of the uh, 35-ish to 45-ish age, they're uh, wise and they ask for help. They're not afraid to ask for help. They're information people. So they immediately became members of groups that did have young babies uh, who could help them and assist them and be a support system for them. I can't tell you how proud I am that they did that because I was filled with fear. Interesting. About Interesting. What, how that baby was going to be okay. And he, you know, he's 18, 20 months, something like that. He goes to a preschool uh, that teaches three different languages. Uh, they have yoga. They raise chickens. And it's just the most remarkable thing. And I think the point is you are doing something wonderful spending that quality time and, and teaching your son. And I remember my dad doing the same thing, and I can remember thinking, oh, I don't want to have to listen to this. I'm going to call, you know, <laughs> right. whoever to come and fix it. And I did. I just called Daddy. Oh, but, yeah. Um, well, and, of course, right. he would come. He would rescue me. Yeah. But um, we live in a very information-ready world. And a lot of times our fears are unfounded as parents. I but think you're right. The yeah. fear is evidence of our love and our wanting to uh, put a bubble around them. Yeah, but we it's don't those want them experiences, to suffer. I mean, you don't. Right. It's those experiences that they go through that are so important. Um, I remember at Christmas one year, we asked our kids, what would you like for Christmas? And they all said, we don't want anything. We want experiences. We want adventures. So, you know, we planned a, a ski trip for all 11 of us to go to Colorado and go snow skiing. It was the most wonderful thing we did, and it was right before COVID hit. Uh, all of us staying in one condo, 
something that I never ever dreamed of doing and it was very expensive and and I know there are a lot of people who can't do that but you know take a tent and go camping with them get a canoe in the water right do something outside I think one of the reason our grandchildren love to come over is because we take them fishing yeah you know we do we plant the garden we let them dig up the carrots we let them plant the seeds we paint we work with clay we cook together it's all about uh, relationship and sharing that historical family wisdom that you do have not what you don't have or what you didn't get it's about giving them what you got right now yeah it is interesting you know the kids are especially young kids I find I see this in my youngest and maybe it's because I'm older I'm paying attention more Mm -hmm. but he seems to take an interest more in what I'm willing to show him and that's really ultimately what I've learned is that it's my willingness absolutely that it matters the most I mean he's I have to I have to say oh this might be something I have to give him the opportunity Mm -hmm. is basically what I'm Mm -hmm. saying you know like I love to go foraging and just go walking around and and plant identifying look looking through and saying oh that's something I don't know what it is or even if it's you think it's a weed Mm-hmm. Don't just get on your knees and get on your belly and look. And so mm-hmm. I have a little app on my phone that I like mm-hmm. to use to identify them. And we'll, he, had, I didn't realize how much fun he would have doing that. And so once we, I showed him that he could do that, he would, when we go to the park, he's like, hey, Dad, I found this. Come see it. Let's look at it, and we'll look it up together and talk about it and see if it's edible. And I realized, wow, he just has an interesting thirst for these things. And mm-hmm. if I had never taking that time to taste say i'm interested in this mm-hmm. let me just open a little door to him mm-hmm. not forcing anything on him just give him opportunity absolutely and and most of the time it doesn't cost anything no no you're right you That's know it's right. just like if i if i have my grandkids over we're going to cook because we're going to eat i don't have to go take them to the mall and spend money on them that time and relationship that we have is more important than anything else that's something that i i I think about a lot, actually. Whenever I was in the eighth grade or the seventh grade, I can't remember which, my mom's dad died, my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And then, not too many years later, my dad's dad died. And so I went, wow, my kids just don't. And then my their, their grandfather from... That, well, my grandfathers were gone, but then my children have lost all of their grandfathers. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about that a lot. I'm like, you know, they don't have that experience that I had when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But now there's no grandfathers. Mm-hmm. All the grandmothers are around, but there's just no grandfathers. And I thought that's such a wild thing to really consider. Mm-hmm. That generations, not just one, and lineages bloodlines just evaporated and these children don't get that experience right everything they knew everything they did unless some adult was paying attention and willing to share it is gone mm-hmm. you know and i know some of that stuff was a lot not just some i mean huge quantities of very useful knowledge was not shared with me mm-hmm. 
So I think about that a lot. I feel I feel that gravity on mm-hmm. me sometimes, mm-hmm. like that responsibility. Like, okay, well, I may not know what they know, but I know what I know. And if I don't share what I know, then it just evaporates too. It just gets snipped off. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that. I think about that with the boys a lot. You know, like I just want them to have that at least because they don't. They're not. They don't have grandfathers to get it from. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's literally just me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, boy, they sure didn't get, <laughs> they didn't get the, what everything that, that, I didn't get everything I needed. And they definitely aren't getting all of that. They're just going to get whatever I can give them. You know? <laughs> They'll get what they need. <laughs> I just hope that, um, I hope it's enough. It will be. You know? Because, you know, as we age, we begin to collect other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those people uh, add pieces of the puzzle for us. That's true. If we're interested. If we're interested, yes. Uh-huh. I like that. That's true. Yeah. If we're interested, they will. Well, that's what you're doing here today. I mean, in a way, the show is that for me. I mean, I've thought that a lot of times. I sit with or, or sit or talk digitally, however it happens. And I think how lucky I am because I take away things from every one of these conversations. They shape my thinking. And even if they don't turn the dial a lot, I carry that person's story with me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's interesting because I, I do, I find myself going back a lot. Like it's like a book I've read or something, you know, these you and all these other people, I'll, I'll go, oh, I remember, you know, mm-hmm. Mickey said this. You know. It always scares me when somebody says, I remember when you said, I'm like, oh, my goodness, what are they going to say? Oh, my gosh. Because, you know, we evolve as people, <laughs> and did. I surely don't agree with everything I said when I was 18. But I don't uh, agree with stuff I said two years ago mm-hmm. because, you know, with a show, most of the people I talk to, I talk to them once. But I'm in every conversation. And what I learned, and I didn't even really think about this until I had somebody brought it up on the show one day, they seem to know an awful lot about me. And I was like, gosh, they sure know a lot about me. And they were like, well, you're on every episode. I, I've learned about you right. more than I've learned about your guests because you're revealing yourself through each person mm-hmm. more and more. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, it seems obvious, I don't know why that didn't occur to me that it's a portrait of each guest, but it's also a portrait of me. Sure. And uh, that didn't occur to me. You know, so you're meeting yourself, me, yeah. And so, looking back, you know, I look back and listen to a conversation from two years ago, and I'm like, wow, just in two years, how the guests have shaped me mm-hmm. through that process. And I'm allowing myself to change too, you know, because people bring new things mm-hmm. as even today, just new perspectives. It's you know, as you just stated, well, you're you carrying. Know, I love that scripture. In Revelations, that says God is making all things new. All things new, yeah. You know, and one of the things that a lot of times we'll talk about in our uh, Circle Up group, which is our support group for people with mental illness, what is God doing in your life now? What's God doing today? Not what are you doing? What's God doing? And it's very difficult for people to uh, stop thinking about what they're doing and start looking beyond themselves as to what's happening in their life that maybe things they don't control, but yeah. that they will have responses to. And part of what we try to do in Circle Up is uh, help people learn how to respond positively to situations 
rather than just do what you've always done in yeah. your family and learn um, personal resources and coping skills and um, learn the value of scripture that teaches us how to uh, face our lives with courage. Scripture is such a difficult thing for some people though. Mm -hmm. I see it affect people in so many different mm -hmm. ways. And I, I've always said, like, how do you read scripture? And not not even just Christian scripture, but mm -hmm. like, you know, holy books or writings from every tradition. And I think, how do you read it? How Well, let me back up. How you read it mm -hmm. makes a huge difference. Sure. Because if you read it historically, that's mm -hmm. just informative. But if you read it in an illuminated way, it's so broad. But what does that mean? from person to person to read mm -hmm. scripture in an illuminated way. I'm always fascinated how one piece of scripture will speak to the same person in this manifold way and not even always in a good way. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you, something one of my guests talked about, and I think we called them um, sweet constraints. Mm -hmm. We'd found the word in, in Buddhism somewhere, they called it, you have to set sweet constraints when you do anything in that kind of category because you have to set some rules like, okay, I can't hurt anybody, like harm anybody physically. Like set some rules for yourself mm -hmm. as you're reading it because if you get an indicator like, because I mean we see this now where scripture is used to like maybe as the foundation mm -hmm. for a violent act, mm -hmm. how do you stop that from happening it's like well you have to set some like almost moral constraints mm -hmm. but what are they mm -hmm. and who determines it and is it's got to be individual but how do you convince people that that's important mm -hmm. such a fascinating topic though to it me. is I mean, and you know scripture when you say scripture people automatically a lot of times i think today you know scripture kind of coincides with being Christian, which has all kinds of negative connotations. I, I don't like to say Christian because it sounds political. Well, that's new too. And right? I hate it, that. Yeah, I get I it. Hate I that. know. That's, that's true. You're right. But, um, you know, learning how to read scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, and what, let's see, um, Scott Peck wrote this wonderful book, um, People of the Lie. Um, let's see. He, he wrote about, it was the first book that really informed my life um, as far as how to listen to scripture and how to make it make sense to me. Um, I had it written down. I don't see it right here. But it, it's about um, unless you read scripture and take it through the fire of your own understanding. It has no wisdom in it. Makes sense to me. Yeah. It does make sense. Because that, that there are things in the Bible. I mean, who who's going to have six wives now? You know, there are things that are not applicable today. Right. When And there, there's so much in scripture that is um, argumentative. Uh, so many views about things that separate people. But if you look at what Jesus said, he said, you know, love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. And that's what it all boils down to. Let that be to. your constraint. Right. Yeah, it makes right. sense. Do unto others what 
you would have them do unto you. you know, it seems it, so simple, and that's something it that is simple. I've, uh, you know, I find myself changing again, and that's okay. And I, in fact, I was talking to my wife about that this morning. I said, you know, that's something that you have to continue to be okay with is when you feel a change coming on, at least analyze that. Mm -hmm. And and it had to do with spirituality and religion Uh and and all of it, you know. And I I told her today, I said, you know, there's seasons, you know, in our lives. Mm -hmm. And and it's okay to watch that season come back around again. But spiritually, Uh sometimes there's a season where I have a thirst to read Mm -hmm. and consume and share. But then I also, I'm going, and right now I'm going through that season again where Mm -hmm. I'm feeling need to just stop for a little while. Mm -hmm. To not consume and to also not share and just let everything be really plain and ordinary. And that is good too. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. It'll allow me if I know myself well enough, when it's the time is right to consume again, it's going to allow me to have experiences that can run back through mm-hmm. and re-illuminate scriptures. And, and mm-hmm. I'm rereading... The process. Yeah. I'm rereading uh, Walt Whitman right now. He's one mm. of my favorite poets. And I was like, I remember where I was when I finished, when I closed the book on Leaves of Grass. I was 23 years old. Mm-hmm sitting on a porch swing. It was a beautiful day in Sulphur. And I just sat out there and let it just sit in my brain for an hour after I finished it. Rereading that now, I'm seeing other poems that just didn't, I didn't care about, have meaning. And I'm like, wow, because I hadn't lived enough yet. Right. I didn't have, these words, uh-huh. I hadn't lived enough for these to mean anything. I'm so glad to wade back in, you yeah. know. You hadn't had the woundings. You probably hadn't had the exquisite joy. And those two things really inform your life. Sure. I mean, I thought about that. Like, I hadn't, I'd, my first child wasn't even one. And I had no clue divorce was in front of me. Mm-hmm. I had no clue, you know, all these different things that were going to happen. I had no clue that death was in front of me. Mm-hmm. You know, pain, loss, all those things. Now, there were a lot of joys, too, but those sure. were the real the wounds as you started this uh-huh. conversation. I had no idea what those wounds were coming. Yeah. And, yeah, they changed me. And so they, they, they had without them... They, they opened my eyes to the words again, you know? Well, that's what um, Scott Peck is talking about, and the name of the book is The Road Less Traveled. That those wounds are the fire of our own experience. Mm. That's what it means for something to go through the fire of your own experience. Like, he talks about faith, that there's no such thing is somebody giving you your faith. You can't have hand-me-down faith because it's not faith if, if somebody just tells you what to believe. That's religion. But faith is when you go through two hurricanes and lose everything you own and then have to go through an ice storm living in the woods in a tent, worrying about whether you're going to be able to feed your kids. Does God really love me if I have to go through this? Right. That's faith. Right, right. That's when the roots, the tentacles of your very being are reaching for something that is not a thing. Yeah, the ground. Mm -hmm. The ground of, uh, 
it's interesting because it gets into some of that into some Buddhist thought that I've always mm-hmm. loved and it's almost uh, paradoxical but it's this the ground you're looking for is groundless right and that doesn't make sense in a in a linear way mm-hmm. but it makes sense when in the language you're speaking in to where you're going yeah I'm reaching for something stable and when I find that stability I realize it's not and mm-hmm. that is the stability mm-hmm. it's it's the malleable. Yeah, the instability it. is the stability. It's like impermanence. It's that, that mm-hmm. law of impermanence that everything that comes together comes apart. Well, that sounds terrifying and puts some people into existential crisis until you realize that actually is the, the one law driving everything mm-hmm. is that groundless state. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing at that point because without that groundless state, there is no change. We don't get to sit here and these trees that I came out here, you know, all those years ago that were saplings wouldn't be large trees providing Mm -hmm. shade today without that. Mm -hmm. I know that's a beautiful thing. And that's, that is comforting. And that's an odd thing. That's a hard thing to get to. Yeah, it is. That, that the groundlessness is the And I think the reason it's a hard thing to get to is because we don't want to have to experience that wounding. No, it's painful. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but once you have and you have lived through it there is a resiliency um, built into your your skeletal um, system yeah, your, it's like your being is. Y- yes, yeah, exactly, it, yeah. your being and then you learn to trust that and that's I, what you talked about at the beginning like mm-hmm. that getting up and going yeah you know, uh, about 10 years ago, I had breast cancer. and I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, what a remarkable experience. I mean, we go to, the, to MD Anderson, and the doctor tells me, you have um, triple negative breast cancer, and if you live five years, we will say you're in remission. And I'm looking, and I'm like, what do you mean if I live five years? Wait. You know, I mean, that's a brick wall you're not planning on running into. But having gone through so many other things in my life, I wasn't going to s- listen to somebody tell me that I have a death sentence. That, that's absurd. I am a very healthy person with a horrible cancer. That cancer does not define me. It's something I'm going to have to cope with and live with. And, you know, when they started telling me I was going to have to have um, 16 chemotherapy treatments and 48 radiation treatments, I'm thinking, no, 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 that's not the cancer I wanted. You know, I want the one where you can take a pill. Well, it didn't turn out that way. But here, it's 10 years later, I'm fully healthy, surviving, and because I have gone through so many different woundings in my life, I'm able... I say because I've gone through them. And one other thing that is, I think, extremely important. I have a healthy brain. Mm. Brain health is a much, much bigger issue than most people realize. I've never had a head injury. I've never done drugs. I've never had any kind of uh, starvation or lack of oxygen, all those things come together to create your healthy brain. And when you have a healthy brain, the neurotransmitters work and you know your 
choices, your ability to make choices, uh, your all of your senses are alive, and so you're fully functional, even when you're really, really sick. It's huge. And I say that because I think a lot of people don't realize how serious it is when a child has a head injury or when they're malnourished. You know, if you have problems with a kid and you can't figure out what's going on, take a look at head injury. So interesting that you're saying this. I got hit by a car. Uh, gosh, I guess it's going on five years now ago. And that was my first fear. Like mm-hmm. I was on the road and somebody hit me about 45 miles an hour. I mean, I, they hit me, hit me. I mean, yeah. that's not, I mean, it could have been worse than it was, but the way I got hit, I, I guess it spun me, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of blood. But when you get mm-hmm. hit by a vehicle, anybody that's ever been hit by one knows your whole body goes into shock. So you don't really know where you've been hit. Mm-hmm. I knew I'd been hit because I'd, but it was almost like I, the only reason I knew is because I saw the blood and I was thrown. Mm-hmm. So I realized when I tried to move my left arm, I had been hit, at some point I started to realize like I had been hit on my left side. Mm-hmm. And I, so I could move my right arm. And the first thing I did, because I saw the blood, mm-hmm. and the first thing I did was I went back behind my head and felt, like I'm showing you here, the audience can't see, but mm-hmm. I felt, okay, I don't feel anything. And then I looked at my hand, there was no blood. Because I was terrified, I thought, mm-hmm. I'll take anything but this, like just yeah. a cracked open skull, I mean, yeah. or a brain injury, because I thought my mind, I know, that's like the first thing I did, I thought my mind, I've got to check right. first, right. my mind. Well, I, I want to put this little plug in. One of the most important um, people that I have found to use as a resource is Dr. Daniel Amen. And if you've, if you've, if you're dealing with people with problematic behaviors, Google Dr. Amen because he has done tremendous research on head injury and brain health and written books like uh, You Can Be Happier, Healthier, Skinnier, Smarter, Healthier. I mean, just a huge variety of books about how a healthy brain uh, impacts your ability to cope with situations and and deal with your life and as I was saying you know I was healthy I had a healthy brain I also had a huge support system with my family and my church friends which not all church friends are going to be healthy but you know but again a support you, network absolutely like it is yeah good though, people but. praying for me and uh, you know cheering me on and yeah. so I thank God that I had that experience um, not anything I'd want anybody to have to go through, but I'm healthy now. And I, uh, my husband and I learned to really enjoy going to the hospital for those treatments because we'd always see people, and we're people people, you know, and we'd check with them, and how are y'all doing? Well, what are y'all dealing with? Everybody's got something. Right. Everybody's got something. You're right. My mother had cancer, and she lived with us when she was going through her treatment. And uh, going up there with her for all of her visits and, mm-hmm. and for her chemo and radiation you know when you're the healthy one and you're in these waiting rooms with mm-hmm. other people who are waiting on somebody who's sick uh, and I'm kind of empathic so it was like you know mm-hmm. it, it takes a toll on you to some degree oh, just yes, I, I remember does. sitting there for hours and hours and hours and just my imagination would just run wild with the images, you know, like everybody's story was just running through my mm-hmm. mind and my heart, you know. 
it was heavier than I realized, you know, just being in there. And I, I thought how um, strong the people that are uplifting the patients and the family mm -hmm. members are because they would do a good job. As you said, they would uh, cheer, cheer them on. Mm -hmm. motivate them to come back. I mean, because mm -hmm. it's, it's weakening. I mean, you know, my mom was over times so and she's like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't want to just, just so, I'm so tired. I'm so miserable. The way I feel on top of the fear, it's just everything. Mm -hmm. Is your mom still living? Yes. Okay. Yes. So she survived it. She did. Her, her treatment um, had a, a kind of a negative side effect. Uh, the radiation where it was at, it actually caused her muscles and her legs to uh, I don't know the term but they don't they're, they're not elastic anymore mm -hmm. so like it's if kind of atrophy she, yeah so if she bends her leg and she sits for 30 minutes they don't flex back out they have to almost like pull and it's painful so she can't really walk mm -hmm. but she's alive I mean it's just well I had some of that and that's exactly why I've been involved in yoga for seven years uh, it has been a tremendous help not only physically, I think I would be in a wheelchair if I hadn't been, yeah. but also the synergy of being with um, people breathing together and supporting each other. You're getting into and something so important, and I wish my mom was listening to this, and she might, but it's like, that. Make, you, you talked about choices, and what you're describing is a choice. You, you know, have to go through the pain of it. To, yeah, but you made the choice to do it, too. And there are people that just resist mm -hmm. resources mm -hmm. in certain categories. And everything you just described, I'm going, God, my eyes light up because I'm going, all of that sounds like the healthy, right thing to do. But mm -hmm. they, I know people will just choose to not do that. Well, but there is yoga available uh, in Sulphur at Dynamic Dimensions. Yeah. You can YouTube it. You can Google it. Yeah. Well, you no, can do it at true. home. And it's all about finding your center and getting the connection to your breath and being able to send your breath to the different parts of your body. And I know there are a lot of people who have a problem with yoga because it's a Far Eastern practice. I don't really care. Yeah. It has worked for me. It's kept me out of uh, a wheelchair. I now have five family members that are involved in yoga because they've seen what it's done for me, including my 90-year-old mother. And she has stability and flexibility and balance and can jitterbug all night. She's 90 years old. And I, Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I agree. It's something my wife always says. It's all, as you said, it's choices. I mean, mm -hmm. you can put something mm -hmm. good in front of somebody and they will choose to not do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, even like with grief, I mean, somebody, there's grief support groups everywhere in every sh what sh shape or form, mm -hmm. but people will choose to not do it. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what that is with some people. I mean, I've been like that about some things too, but I don't know what it is. Like, what is the resistance to actually? I don't think anybody wants to be seen is broken. I think you're right. I, that it's a fear. It's the like the paradox a, of it is we are all broken. Right. Everybody is, and that's what a lot of these things will teach you. Mm -hmm. If you allow yourself to go mm -hmm. forward, you go, oh, I'm yeah. not alone. Right. But we feel and like it's we're the only ones with the pain. Anybody or, who thinks they're not broken, in some way, is avoiding who they really are. 
their um, probably um, fearful of getting in touch with themselves. Well, we, we are not made perfectly. We're not, it's not our perfections and our everything that's okay that connects people. It's our brokenness that connects us. Yeah, well, if you may think about it, smooth things don't 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 lock up together. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. You know, it's the little mm -mm. edges that fit in. Yeah. And that, you know, it all goes back to trust. I trust that I can uh, connect with this person in the grocery store who looks like today they might just need somebody to say, um, "Hey, how are you?" Yeah. You know, I mean, I I. I must have a face that says, tell me everything. Because I can stand in the grocery store, and I don't care who's standing behind me, they start telling oh, me what's going I, on. I'm the you know? same way. I'm the same and, way. And that's because we're receptors. Yeah, because it definitely isn't my face, because I'm usually not, I usually walk around with a not-so-friendly-looking face. And, uh, but uh, people will walk up to me. Mm -hmm. And my wife's seen it out of the blue. She's like, why in the world did they come to you? I'm like, I it's just, I'm Look, always... I've been in New York with my family. We were on the uh, subway, and there'll be a person with serious mental illness uh, going through a psychotic episode, and they will come and sit right with me. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of us are just magnets to that. But I think that part of that is, uh, kind of a openness to the ministry of availability yeah i think you're right i think that's a lot to do with it i've thought that mm -hmm. a lot of times because it's easy yeah this is where i think sometimes even religion can be dangerous oh definitely because it makes us think you have occurrences right like that and then all of a sudden you start getting that little bit of dose of uh i'm selected i'm special mm -hmm. yeah and uh it's actually I mean, I'm not going to say I haven't been guilty of having those thoughts. Oh, I've been picked. I've let that go. Now I just, it's like, oh, I'm just open to it. Mm -hmm. I'm open, so it happens. Right. I made I made a, a drawbridge, and it's rolled out. So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that's why people keep walking across it, because I put it there. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it has to go back to trust that you don't have a fear of the stranger. Right. And... A lot of people are fearful of the stranger. I'm struggling with that right now. I mean, truly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, it'll pass, mm -hmm. but I'm going through that. I'm going through mm -hmm. like a trust, mm -hmm. a broken trust feeling right now. Not in an intimate, mm -hmm. personal way, mm -hmm. but just things that have happened to you lately. Yeah, like lately, I'm just starting to go, I'm, I'm finding myself retreating a little bit into a, yeah, I believe people are good, but I want them to prove it. Well, and I'm, I'm just going. There's through a that. difference <laughs> between just blatant, open uh, trust that is naive. That's true. And yeah. trust that is um, with boundaries. Yeah, like I actually had a conversation just this past week with some with somebody that has the potential. They have the potential to lose my trust, mm -hmm. but they haven't yet. Mm -hmm. But I know that whatever they do next is going to change the relationship for good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I was clear, but not rude or anything. But I said, look, I'm just giving you an opportunity to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. You, you choose what comes next, but today everything's okay. Mm -hmm. But I had to like put it out there that way, mm -hmm. like it's all good right now. 
but you do have something to decide and if, mm -hmm. depending on what you decide is going to tell me how you f how you want this relationship to be mm -hmm. and so that's an interesting thing I mean I you know I've worked for 40 something years with people with all kinds of mental health issues I've only had one person that I reached a place in my life where I said to myself what's wrong with me that I would continue to allow this person to treat me the way that they're treating me. Right. And I finally got to a place where I said, I'm not gonna continue a relationship with you. It's right. not uh, for my health. It, it's, it's very damaging to me to continue to uh, offer my relationship, my transportation, my concerns, you know, my listening ear to you, for you to treat me the way that I have been treated. And so this relationship is now ended. Yeah. I've only done that one time in my whole life. I've only done that once or twice. I mean, you know, I have one that's painful even because I, I actually want a relationship with the person, but I know mm -hmm. and it was the same exact, I mean, I was shaking my head as you were talking about I've been here. Same thing. I was like, I can't let you do this. Exactly. I just, I can't let you. Like, I actually would. Mm -hmm. That's a sad thing. Because, I did for too long. Well, me too. And I was like, but the reality is it is just, it not only hurts me, it hurts other people. Mm -hmm. we're, the way I've described this is like, we're all in a rubber raft. Some people are within your raft, you know, like really that tight mm -hmm. um, survival vehicle. Mm-hmm. But it is a rubber raft. Mm -hmm. And when you've got people inside that raft, but one of them is intentionally like stabbing holes in it, it's not just you yeah. that's going down in the ocean, you know? And I'm like, I just can't allow you mm -hmm. to get in this raft because yeah. I'm getting older and I can't, I can't pat, tread water like I used to, but there's other people in here with me. You know, mm -hmm. too. So you can't stop this anymore. Well, I think some of us are givers, and we have a harder time creating boundaries. And um, we carry our own pathology that makes us that way. Uh, people pleasers. We like people. We feel, you know, love your neighbor is a very real reality. Yeah. But there is a time where uh, it's important to be able to say, I can't do this anymore. I care about you, but yeah. I, I, no, we're not uh, I mean, do I this. have a, someone that I thought was a friend, like I've had that read, that was one of the other few times it was very similar. It was like, I tried to extend an olive branch mm -hmm. over and above, but I finally said, okay, I have to have a new rule for you because of the particular aggression that you mm -hmm. have. You can't control yourself. You're dangerous, mm -hmm. and whenever you come within a certain proximity in my life, when you cross a boundary, that danger then puts other people in danger. Mm -hmm. And so you have a rule now, and that rule is you're a, you're not you're a wave high. That's mm -hmm. it. Like mm -hmm. that's it. I can't mm -hmm. talk to you. Can't you can't. We can't even be, you know. You know, I think it's important <laughs> when we deal with situations like that to ask ourselves, what am I learning? That's right, yeah. Um, this particular person died during this past year with COVID. Um, 
And after I found out that she had died, I, you know, I, I had some real not sure feelings. Yeah. I, I felt sorry and yet in relief. Yeah. And uh, I realized that what the purpose she had served in my life, not that everybody has to serve a purpose in my life, but that, you know, I always try to look for the, what yeah. was the silver lining what did of you knowing her? Yeah. And I realized she, um, she taught me to be a forgiver. But then it came to the place where when I put the boundary, I had to forgive myself for letting her take advantage of me for so long. Because it did take a, a, it took a toll in my family, with my friends, uh, because I was stretching too far for her. Yeah. And I needed to regain my boundaries. Understand that totally. I, I totally get that, and that, that happens to a lot of people. I mean, it's more so common to watch. I mean, I've watched that happen with people I care about too that are, are doing that and I'm like you've jeopardized it sometimes and that's what I've that helped me believe it or not watching it happen with other people which mm-hmm. is really sad because you can't help them but you can still learn from it mm-hmm. and I was like you're putting other people on the altar of sacrifice for this one person and this one person isn't learning and isn't changing right. and you you might save them but maybe it isn't your job to save them. Maybe you need. Maybe somebody else might. But are you willing to sacrifice the other people in tow? That was a question I had to ask myself mm-hmm. too, and that is a hard question. Yeah. When it's right within your intimate and circle. And when you have a strong burden of conscience about being human and being a humanitarian and caring about other people, that's a heavy fire. It to is walk through. because you see, like you can love, and you. You can care about people, but then when it's ha- when it's right within your own Mother Teresa, as she said, when mm-hmm. it's in your Calcutta, mm-hmm. and you literally can't make that change there, yes, that's painful. Persons like that have uh, personality disorders. They have learned behaviors. It's not all chemical imbalance in the brain. They have, as a child growing up, learned behaviors that got them what they wanted, and those behaviors don't work. Right. And Yet they don't know any other behaviors. Well, right, because you get out in the world, and, and if you've been taught that, mm-hmm. you get out there and other, you realize other people aren't going to put up with it. Mm-hmm. They're just not going to tolerate it, or they don't love you. I mean, that's, that's the truth of the matter. Sometimes I've thought that many times. I'm like, yeah, you're insulated because you're around people that love you, but then you get out in the world, those people don't love you, and they have no reason to tolerate you. Exactly. And that is a huge factor. I mean... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, in their success, actually, in just living, not success mm-hmm. financially, but just mm-hmm. success in navigating the yeah. world of people. <laughs> and there are different um, types of people who have had personality disorders like that. I mean, some people have actually grown up in very dysfunctional homes oh, yeah. where, um, you know, there was abuse and intolerance and starvation. And I. As a human being, you don't judge that person. Right. You just know that you can't fix them. You can't really even be in relationship with them because they don't know how. And this particular woman ended up in a group home um, in a just a very sad situation because even people who are like that have to obey the laws. You can't hurt people. Exactly. 
Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, that's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's complicated. I mean, sometimes, and this is something that's hard to accept, is sometimes things or some things are just sad. They are. And it's mm-hmm. sad that they're just sad. Mm-hmm. And they, they're not going to get fixed. Not in mm-hmm. this lifetime. And that's hard to accept. Right. It is. It's hard to swallow that. And I, I think there, there again, you're going back to looking at your own boundaries. You, you have to realize I'm not God. Right. I can't do this. I can't fix this. And I've had to go through that in my life with dealing with people with serious mental illness that um, I can't fix these people. And they serve a purpose in life. They're, they have just as much um, right to live and... Um, yeah, they're, they're humanity. They're, yes. They're just they're, as a cre- living creature. Yes, right. But I, I, I need to find, to refocus on what I can do something uh, about what's the next right thing to do? Yeah. And I th- that's a really important question to me. What's the re- next right thing to do that will be positive, that will um, improve life on this yeah. planet? I mean, it might be, uh, you know, keeping my coffee grounds and putting them in the ground. Right. But, you know, you're right. I mean, any good action adds to the cumulative good. I really mm-hmm. believe that. Because sometimes it's easy to look at things globally or cosmically and just see. Well, I'll back up. Like, for me, sometimes I look at things globally. I can get a case of the sads. Oh, definitely. But when mm-hmm. I look at things cosmically, it soothes the sads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or when I look at things in a macrocosmic way, mm-hmm. I feel soothed. But it's like when I... It's that sort of just here on this little dot, that broad scope stuff that I get a case of the sads. I've learned not to listen to the news. Not, oh, the not news. even. I mean, I do not even turn on the television all day yeah. until late in the evening we watch the 6 o'clock news and then we find something else to watch because you can be so inundated with all the negative things that are going on in the world. And that's yeah. why I, I feel like what you're doing has so much power for the good. It's so sad, though, because, I mean, this came up in my last episode or one of the last conversations I had. And it's just negativity is so um, addictive and and people crave it. Mm-hmm. They crave it in a negative way. They don't they realize they need something good, but they'll continue to consume and propagate those negative things through media. And... Uh, but we're all consuming it more and more and more. So a resource like this is never going to have the traction mm-hmm. because it's just not what's people's appetites. But if only one person hears this. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's the coffee off, grounds. It's that turn one off thing. Yeah. the TV. Don't listen to what sells. Listen to your still small voice, your inner uh, conscience. Your uh, Go sit down in the grass and let the DNA of the grass that is the same DNA as our DNA, you know, God inspired, God created, connect with that. Uh, Lay on the ground and let that energy revitalize you. Those things are so basic. People have stopped anything like that. The idea that, you know, the old hug a tree. Yeah. We are living in a world where I feel like God is constantly trying to be an encourager. Look at the spring. 
I mean, my gosh, it's just unbelievable. But people don't want to talk about that. That doesn't sell anything. No, it doesn't. Right. I mean, there's this, this system that is in place, and it's just chugging along. And what's so sad is there are people that are just surviving. I mean, like, mm-hmm. and I've been in that situation before, too. I mean, I've been one of them where it was like there was just not enough money to make ends meet, mm-hmm. uh, trying to take care of your kids, making choices between food and gas. And so I don't. I try to remember that that's very real and that I'm right they're all around us mm-hmm. and those people it's hard because I it's like mission work that that goes into an impoverished country and then starts preaching religion before mm-hmm. feeding the people exactly and I'm like that's where sometimes I feel like I that that weighs heavy on my heart even just where we're sitting I mean it's easy to forget because it's so pretty out here right now. Mm-hmm. We have this luxury to sit here and have this conversation, but I know right now there's somebody stressing out, you know, hoping that somebody's going to leave them good tips today mm-hmm. or that their lights aren't going to get cut off or that they can make their rent and, and they're mentally unhealthy mm-hmm. and single and, and you I, know, all I, that I, just... I just have to stop you and say to that person, you know, who's just hoping somebody's going to leave them a tip. As a human being, do what you can where you are with what you've got. Uh, Tipping is a real big deal to me because if I have anything I can give from my overflow, shame on me if I don't give it. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I just, I, I hope that those people. That's that's the that's the slice of life that I fear for the most is those in the the fissures, like the mm-hmm. little cracks, you know. Yeah, the, in fragile circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those yeah. are the ones I, I I lay. Those are the ones that keep me awake at night. Mm-hmm. If I'm if anything keeps me awake, it's it's those people because mm-hmm. I don't. You know, it's like that. And I know that's not on me. I mean, I can only do what I can do, as you said. You know, do what you can with what you have. But they do weigh on my heart, sure. that particular sure. slice of uh, sure. life. I don't know why particularly those, but they do. Well, they should. Because there's enough for everybody. Yeah, I mean, we do. We have, we have abundance. We really mm-hmm. do. That's the, the big lie, I think, that I see most of us sort of succumb to is that there isn't enough mm-hmm. and that's that's not true no. it's just that we see no. a lot of imbalances mm-hmm. but there really actually is it's how much are we willing to yeah. allow things and, to balance out and i believe in a god of abundance i think and not like um stuff no i understand yeah but that there's more where everything comes from and it's a learning experience to learn how to ask for what you need uh go to the resources that are there to ask for help we have a lot of resources available right now in lake charles uh and we should because we've we've gone through a lot of really difficult times but um again that's a choice thing of ask for help and do what you can with what you've got I don't think there's anybody that hasn't gone through hard times. You know, like after the hurricanes, it didn't matter if you were rich or poor, if your house, if you didn't have a roof and your house was leaking, 
we all have faced a lot of the same kind of stuff. And that's not the same thing as the person whose kids are starving. I realize right. that. But it is still a tri- it's still suffering and still it's hardship. hard. Yeah. It's very, right. very hard. Um, well, speaking of, I mean, today, I know a lot of people are hoping, because I think the president is in mm-hmm. Louisiana today. And, in Lake Charles. Yeah. That's what people are saying. Like, is he, if he's coming to Lake Charles, everybody's wanting to make sure he sees, like, the state of things. Mm-hmm. And I... I think that gives people a sense of hope, too, just to know that their um, authorities, mm-hmm. you know, that have some ability to move the need- needle resource-wise, see them. Right. That matters to them. It matters right. that you're seen. I think that matters to everyone. That Absolutely. Someone and heard. And heard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm happy. I know it. I'm hey there, Good News listener. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed producing it. Now, it's time for the Fishing for Goodies segment, where I turn my interviewer role over to the Good News Fishbowl. Longtime listeners know that the Fishbowl contains over 400 unique questions, many seated by you, the listeners. Did you know that you could submit unique questions to the Fishbowl? That's right. Just call the Good News Hotline at 802-459-1668 to have your question added. You can also visit findthegood.news and send me an email. Now, let's take that dive into the fishbowl. Well. You've listened yes, to the podcast? Yes. So you know that I'm going to ask you three questions. Right. Okay. Well, right. I drew three questions before I got here. Okay. And I love these questions. So this is the first one from the Fishing for Goodies segment. Uh, what's something that you learned as a child that you believed until you became an adult? Hmm. Gosh, that's a hard question. Uh, something I believed as a child. I mean, the first thing I think of is, you know, the Easter Bunny. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, of course, I, I found out about that long before uh, I yeah, was an adult. Yeah, before you were an adult. Well, actually, um, I was 50 years old when I found out that I had a sister that I didn't know. Well, there you go. So there you go. That's a big one. It was a big one. <laughs> yeah, that's a big, big one. Yeah, it was. Interesting. Yeah. Did and you meet your sister? Yes, we have met. And um, is it a good relationship? or? Well, yes, or it's a good there, relationship. Okay, yeah. It's uh, I have, there are five girls in my family. I was adopted by my dad. Oh, okay. But I was my mother's child, but my mother had been married before. And uh, it was quite a revelation on my 50th birthday to get a telephone call from this girl who... So she was, just called you? Cold call? Yes. Or, oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. But, you know, I like people. So I was just perfectly happy to talk to her. I've learned a lot about um, my mother's first husband, um, who was my natural father. And um, it's been a good experience. He died uh, before I ever knew him. I see. Okay. Um, so... I think that's kind of Pandora's box that didn't get opened, which is fine with me because I grew up in a wonderful home. Uh, my my dad uh, loved me like his own. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I was the oldest. Well, that's well into adulthood to find something yes. like that out. Yes, yes. I mean, wow. That's I actually had a similar experience, but I was a lot younger. I mean, I found out I had a sister. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I was probably... 
20, mm -hmm. 21, you know, mm -hmm. a younger sister. So, yeah, I mean, I, I understand that experience a little bit. It didn't go the same way, obvious, mm -hmm. obviously. Well, I remember finding out that my dad, man that I loved dearly, was not my oh. my biological father. Well, how old were you? I was about five. I was when at you my, found out? Yes. Oh. I was at my grandmother's, and um, her housekeeper knew my uh natural father and i said something about daddy's coming home and we're going to do something and she said billy rentrop is not your daddy she said, said it like that what who said she, that your grandmother said that no her housekeeper oh her housekeeper said yes that. okay and she picked me up and she set me on the counter in the kitchen and she explained to me that he was not my daddy and wow. I, I just couldn't believe it i mean i was in shock yeah so young yes but, you know, I, that made me, as a young person, question things. Yeah, I bet. I mean, just don't like take anything else? for... Exactly. Yeah, I've been what through that. Else what else do I, not do I know? believe that I don't? Yeah, That's the exactly. same thing. I've been through exactly. the same experience. Yeah. And not that same thing, but I had something happen. It was the same thing. And I was like, what else mm -hmm. am I adhering to or mm -hmm. that I just accept blindly that... I mean, it made me want to know everything. Yeah. So along so with that, uh, eventually, you know, all five of my other siblings found out that mom had been married before. And they had their own awakening, you know, in regards to that. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. But every family has its own, you know, little pieces of yeah. the puzzle that... It's an interesting thing, though. I mean, mm -hmm. as you were very young, I mean, for in the way that happened, it's just such a... Right. I mean, you know... Well, and the thing was, at five years old, my mother didn't really want to talk to me about it. And <laughs> we really never, ever talked about it. Well, and it was kind of, I mean, I hate to say it, I mean, it wasn't really the housekeeper's place no, to say but, it, but it did happen the way it happened. It but, did, uh, and the thing was, uh, she, the housekeeper was named Rose. She's an African-American lady that came to work for my mother the day after I was born. Okay. And so she was like a second mother. Oh, I got you. She, yeah, so she'd been and, your life. Yes, absolutely. And I loved her with all my heart. And, you know, wow. miss her today terribly. That's something. Yeah. That's very interesting. So, you know the story, the book, The Help? Yeah. Okay, I would like to rewrite The Help in terms of my relationship with Rose. Really? Oh, yes. So how long was Rose in your life after five? I mean, mm. Oh, she was in my life from the day after I was born till she died at... 80 something years really? old and um we stayed very very close she held me accountable she um cared deeply about our family and i would go and see her after she could no longer work i mean it was just a wonderful relationship and i think because she was one of those first mothers in my life um i just have always been very open to people of any color. I, I, I wouldn't say I don't see color because yeah, that's, who, who I, doesn't see color? Yeah, that's ridiculous. I don't but, say that you know, that's... Um, but I loved her and she loved me. Yeah, and that's all that mattered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's a good lesson. Yeah. Good experience. But she told person. me the worst thing I'd ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, what a shock. Yeah. At yeah. that age, I don't even know how I would have processed that. I mean, when you learn things as a child at that mm -hmm. age, it's. You don't really have a lot of context. You don't even really no. know fully what it means. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, gosh, I can't even... Uh, 
trying to think of something that I learned at five and how, I, you know, when you go back and try to remember it through your child's mind, mm-hmm. sometimes those things bubble up on you later in life. You're like, sure. oh, now I get this. Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden something will happen and trigger the memory and then it frames the whole thing. And you're like, well, one thing um, that I've never forgotten, I, I worked very closely with a psychiatrist in my work with mentally ill and um, one day we were talking and he said uh, well tell me about your family and I told him you know and that um, I was I never knew my natural father and he said well what kind of relationship did you have and I said what do you mean I've never known him and he said but you have a relationship with him Hmm. and that was very interesting to think about because it had always been a zero, null space for yeah. me. And uh, when I started thinking about it, I know this sounds very egotistical, but I thought, gosh, he missed out on so much. I understand that. I do. I mean, well, in a way, it isn't even egotistical. It's just not having a relationship with somebody that you could have had one mm-hmm. with. I mean, we all mm-hmm. miss out. But, you know, I, I did think about that, and then I thought, you know, maybe it's good that I didn't have that relationship. You don't know. Right. I'm just so grateful that I had the family that I had. Yeah. I love that. That's a good answer to that question. <laughs> good. <laughs> so, the, in a way, the second question is kind of, I'm curious, because it's kind of like the first one, or it maybe leads into what you said a little bit, but it was, tell me about someone that affected your life that doesn't know how much they affected your life. Hmm. Well, I've always been pretty verbal telling people. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Tell them, like, that they mean something to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think probably Rose would be the person who died. interesting. Not ever having any idea of the profound effect she had on me throughout my entire life. Yeah, sounds like it. I mean, that's an interesting thing. That's why mm-hmm. I thought that was odd mm-hmm. that that was the question because it it links right up to the first. Mm-hmm. I miss her terribly. It's like she, having a second mother. You said it was. It yeah. was a second mother, and, and yet she she asked me questions about things and pushed me in ways that my own natural mother didn't. And so I had the benefit of kind of like. I don't know if you've ever heard of the story of the red tent. Mm. Um, you know, in the Bible, you read about the, in the Old Testament, the women who, the wives, all the different wives, well, of, say, one man, you know, had five or six wives. Well, they would all, all the wives would go to the red tent when they had their menstrual periods, oh, and they would take okay. all the children with them. And so the red tent was where a lot of female things happened. And uh, maybe one of the little kids, might not have a great relationship with their mom, but they had the other moms, and they were kind of like sister wives. I see, yeah, Um, yeah. But, you know, there was somebody to connect with. Well, Rose was a connector in a different way for me. Um, Just so many different angles and attitudes that were fascinating to me because she was from a different... uh, a different family, and and yet she was as open with me and as transparent with me as anybody could be. And she would challenge me about the way I thought about things. And yeah, it was just a marvelous 
way of growing up with a black mama and a white mama. Interesting. That is really interesting. I mean, especially considering everything that's kind of going on in our society right now, all Mm -hmm. the topics that are coming up. I mean, that is a kind of pointed... Mm -hmm. It's almost pointed directly to that. I mean, how does that inform you as a child, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember taking her to the doctor as she got older. She had a a black... um, physician and you know I would help her go into the doctor's office and the first couple of times I went the doctor was like now who are you and Rose would always say this is my white daughter (laughs) interesting (laughs) I mean if she's in your life that long I don't Mm -hmm. know that I have anybody that is like that in my life I Mm -hmm. mean now that you say that I mean I just don't know that I had anybody that Mm -hmm. served that kind of role as like a second parent Mm -hmm. um Mentorship. I mean, I had good teachers, mm-hmm. but I, I never had that. Uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, Back to the Future is one of my favorite movies, and I always one of the things that fascinated about me was Marty and Doc. You mm-hmm. know, I always want to know like how did he become such a part of Marty's life? You know, mm-hmm. like he was like as an odd figure, it wasn't his parent. You know, mm-hmm. how did he get in this sort of mentor role? And what was their relationship? You know, and I, I always kind of used to Im- imagine, like, what would that be like to have, like, an adult mentor, mm-hmm. you know? But you had that. We did. And she was always available because, um, you know, she worked at my my grandmother's house we where we lived and she took care of all of our old relatives they would go to my grandmother's to stay there and rose was their nurse and their nurse keeper and you know i learned how to wash clothes on a washboard how to iron uh all those kinds of things she just wrapped her arms around our family and took care of us because my grandmother ran a restaurant and my grandmother and my grandfather were gone all day and my mother worked at a bank and so she took care of us. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. It is. It, 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 it's something I don't know, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, I, I, always, I just wonder now, listening to you said that, like, how would that affect me? How would that have affected me? I mean, because, you know, if you, you tend to think, I, I guess the way I look at parents, and I guess everybody looks at their parents differently, mm-hmm. I think my parents struggled a lot and I wonder if having that extra influence in my life you know what would that have done well how would that Mm -hmm. have shaped me it's just something to think about and imagine Mm -hmm. if nothing else it would have given you a variety of perspectives yeah variety of perspectives earlier yeah 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 it's interesting so this last question kind of relates to some of the things we talked about. You know, we talked about stuff and success. Mm-hmm. And it's what's something, an object that you own and treasure that is invaluable to you but is not valuable to anybody else? Well, that's a hard question because I got a lot of good stuff. Oh. I like stuff. Me too. I got a lot of cool things. I'm an artist, and and I'm always creating, and and I love other artists' work. So ask me the question again. So what's something that an object that you own that's invaluable to you as a treasure, a personal treasure, but has no value to anybody else, no monetary value? 
Um, <clears throat> I have a little angel, a little rubber plastic angel that was connected to um, a floral arrangement hmm. for my first baby. Oh. And uh, that is something along with uh, a photo album that I have that I put together after he was born. Uh, but he didn't live, he was uh, stillborn. And I was full-term pregnancy, nine pounds, two ounces. And, uh, you know, after it was all over and, and I realized how empty I was, how what a huge loss it had been. I just had to gather up the pieces and put them together. Yeah. But there's a picture. Um, I said the angel, but it, that, that kind of opened the dots to connect. I have a picture of him in his casket. Uh, that my sister-in-law took. And when she gave me the picture, she said, I'm so sorry, I did everything I could to try to get this uh, to be a perfect picture. But when I looked at the picture, there was a ray of light above his head. Mm. Wow, wow. She said, I even had the people um, at the photography place try to take it out. I said, Deborah, why would you want to take it out? It's his halo. It's his. Beautiful. I, I mean. Yeah. So that's your treasure. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a treasure in heaven that. Um, I understand that. I do. That's something that is more valuable than anything. Mm -hmm. And you know, stuff is just stuff. I love. I like stuff, but. <laughs> The last question that I ask everybody is, okay. did anything good happen today? And it reminds me of what you said about your, family's have, your family having that Monday night. Because this question was kind of born out of that for me. You know, we, I'd get together with my family and it's so easy to go, so how was your day? And then everybody's like, oh, had too much homework. And, you know, my friend said this and this is negative and that's negative. And we, talk, we end up like stacking up our negative fish stories and they get bigger and bigger. And I thought, well, what if I just asked the question, mm -hmm. did anything good happen today? Let's start with that. And maybe we won't even get to that other stuff. And it worked. Sure. My son now, when he gets in the truck after school, he knows it's the first question I'm going to ask. And one the other day, I was, I was like, wow, this has changed his thinking. He goes, well, I guess... Not much, but you know what? The janitors are all off work, and so I got to volunteer to take out the trash and um, bring it to the dumpster at school. So I guess that was something that good happened today. And I said, that how was good. And I awesome. thought, how funny that that's how his brain is wired now. Like yes. he was like, well, I have to look for something good. And even if nothing else happened, there was that. So that's my good thing. And See, I was you've like, wow, rewired man. his brain. And that's something. You really have. That's exactly what Dr. Amon talks about. You know, people have these, uh, what's called ants. Mm. Automatic negative thinking. Automatic negative thinking. I'm guilty. I mean, I've done that. And you can rewire your brain with gratitude, with uh, identification of 
things that are not bad, that are good. And and when you start doing that, like, Ann Voskamp wrote a book called A Thousand Gifts. Have you ever heard of that? No, uh-uh. Okay, it's a wonderful book about making you aware of your blessings. Okay. You start a list. And every day, list. you you just keep a number, you know, of the good things. I mean, it may, maybe it'll be your car started and, you know, you didn't have to get it jumped. I mean, it could be anything from the sugar bowl was full of sugar and I had great coffee. Right. I mean, anything. But when you start your, when you reprogram your brain to look for the good, yeah. you start finding it. I like that ant. Mm-hmm. Automatic like, negative thinking. Yeah, I love that because I mean that's something to keep. It's something simple that you can keep in your head. Mm-hmm. Like me right now, I can use that because mm-hmm. this dog is barking over here, and we're mm-hmm. having this good conversation. And yeah. my, I could easily, I'm feeling it. Like my attention wants to go yeah. over there and yeah. just be annoyed by it. But yeah. it's like, well, you know what? That's a that's an ant in my brain. I've got right. ants in my and brain. And once you start thinking <laughs> like that, you start seeing other people with ants in their brain. Yeah. But the good news is, it can be changed by reprogramming. Uh, that's a really good way to stick the landing on this conversation. But I still got to get your answer to that question. Did anything good happen today? Gosh, so many good things happened. It is a nice day. Oh, Just absolutely. that in general. The weather uh, is... Yes. Yes, just being able to take this time to sit out here in the park yeah. is just awesome. It's a, it's a micro vacation for I me. I got up this morning and went to yoga. I love my yoga class. Um, came home and some cedar trees that needed to be taken out because they've been dead uh, were being taken out. And I was excited because it's clearing out a space for us, but then I was also really sad because I love the trees even though they're dead. But I was able to tell them goodbye. Oh, you got a and piece right there. And have a little there. piece of yeah. it. And uh, <laughs> like then that. come and do this. And yeah. golly, a lot of good things happen. Yeah, that's a lot of good things. It's but true. I, I have to say, you know, there was a little cartoon one time in the newspaper years ago, and this woman says, Oh, this year. Our yards are going to be full of flowers all over. And the other woman says, well, why are you saying that? How do you know that? And the lady says, because I'm planting them. Nice. I like that. It's true. It's it's interesting because you can leave treasures for yourself that mm-hmm. way. I think that sometimes when I... You know, we were talking about objects earlier, and I go in my old shop, and there's crates of things that I forget that I've kept... You know, yeah. and I kept them for a reason. They're not just junk. I have mementos, mm-hmm. and I love going through there, and I'll find a, a book that I kept, and there's something in there, and I'm like, gosh, I left this for myself. Mm-hmm. Planted this here so I could find it, you know, and mm-hmm. excavate it. Mm-hmm. Personal archaeology, I love that. I do, too. And my kids laugh at me. They say that I'm the only person they know that can buy their own Christmas presents, take them home and wrap them, put them under the tree, and still be surprised Christmas morning. (laughs) And it's true. Because I live so in the now, I don't carry all that that happened last week with me. You know, it's funny. I had that happen with an author. Well, not really an author. I mean, Thomas Merton is a... I I love Thomas Merton. And I... Uh, I started reading, and this is the the strange thing, is I started reading in my mind Thomas Merton 
probably seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And once I read Seven Story Mountain, I was like, okay, I want more and more and more. And then it just became like my go-to, you know, like that's where I go when mm -hmm. I need to read. In, in, I end up reading a, a huge chunk of his library. While I was out in my shop probably a month ago doing some cleaning and I found a box of old books and in there was a book called Passion for Peace and I was like this is Thomas Merton and I looked at when I bought it and it had like my bookmarker in there and I was like okay I read this in 1996 how come in 1996 I mean obviously I read almost all of it but I didn't finish it mm -hmm. but in my mind it was like I'd never read Thomas Merton up until seven yeah. years ago and I thought I guess I just wasn't ready Right. You know, and so I brought it in the house and I was like, hey, I have a, a new Thomas Merton book I get to read because I need to reread the thing, you know? This is a book that I have read over and over and over again. And when I read it, I. Um, oh, yeah, you I got Put marginal. down the date of when I've read it. Yeah. And, like, I guess the first time I started reading it was in 14. Oh, I like that, that you do that. Yeah. And every time I read it, I. I you know, I, I learn new things from it. That's I absolutely love it. I've never seen anybody do that. Really? Yeah. I, I, maybe it's common, but I've never seen it. I mean, well, I've left notes, but I've never done this, like leave mm -hmm. the dates by when I made the note in mm -hmm. my books. I like that. Well, it has become sort of a guide. Um, it's called In the Sanctuary of Women, and it's written by uh, Jan Richardson about the woman's place in the church. Oh, uh, Okay. Um, and so you've been reading this a while. A long time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm very oppressed with the marginalization of women. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean I'm oppressed. No, I it, understand. It's, it oppresses my spirit. Yeah, for sure. And as an artist, um, this book has a way, it has had a way of reinforcing the value of visual art in the church for me. Is it time to go? Nope. That was something I thought it was my wife texting me. My... Um, and, you know, I would love for you to come with me one day and see the paintings that are hanging in our worship center that I did. Yeah, you were telling me about yeah. those. Um, but, you know, it's very scary being an artist. You you don't know whether people are going to like what you do or not. But well, yeah, I'm, you're trying I'm... to speak something to them through the art, I'm sure, and mm -hmm. then you just don't know, because it speaks to you, it's coming from you. Yeah, well, no, it's really not coming from me. That's the crazy uh, thing. okay, I got you. I got I'm you. a vessel. Yeah, you're allowing it to flow. And it really does flow, and that I know we need to, to move on, but, you know, I listened to that uh, podcast about uh, the Holy Mother. Oh, yeah, yeah, and the Way of the Rose. I, I really want to share, at some point, um, some of the paintings that I feel, uh, the brush was in my hand, but the picture wasn't. And what we came up with was such a feminine uh, realization really of God. Uh, some you said that episode really spoke to you. I know oh, we were going to get together did. and talk about yeah. that. Because yeah. that, that... And I'm makes, not Catholic. But that is still, that's still the... You know, the... But neither but, are they. They wrote that yeah, book. So. Yeah. Isn't I mean, that amazing? Yeah, it is. But, you know, the world is starved for mothers. And this is Mother's Day weekend. And the Holy Mother, to me, is the, the female part of God that a patriarchal world doesn't want to hear about. 
Well, right. I mean, it takes that. Then you're getting into like power and control. Oh, and that, that absolutely. Just, and retaining power. Yeah. And authority. Yeah. That, yeah. that kind I mean, that's of stuff. a whole nother discussion. Yeah. But anyway, I don't yeah. even know where. I, but anyway, this book has helped um, give me a sense of authority about the work that I do. You know, when you asked me to be on the podcast, I thought, why would he want me to do that? I've never written a book. I don't have anything of real value to add. Um, my paintings are not known by anyone. You know, I'm, I, I just am a little seed. But things that have happened in my life, I think there have been extraordinary things that have happened. And... Uh, I love telling people about them because I feel like that is God and the feminine part of God. Well, that's that that's I something. With. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've never had that thought. Maybe as a child when I was in church, only because that was the language that we used. That God mm-hmm. was He, a He on a throne, mm-hmm. a man, a, a like a, a person, like a. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what. Like, I almost like, I mean, I hate to use this. It sounds like I'm being in jest, but almost like a wizard type. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. king type. A man with the magic wand. Yeah, and that just, pretty early on in my youth, that just dissolved. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it was really after I had what I would call an experience mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. something mysterious that I began to identify as God, mm-hmm. that that identity, that shell that I kind of was sold mm-hmm. or taught, whatever, exposed mm-hmm. to, began began to just fall apart. And once that began to fall apart, the male and female just kind of mm-hmm. became just uh, in a dance together within that. Mm-hmm. When you use the term dance, are you familiar with Richard Rohr? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Richard... Yeah. I tell you, the most influential work that I read was that book he put out called The Universal Christ. That mm-hmm. is such a good book. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he has a really good podcast. You, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, I He's changed my life in a lot of ways. I, um, I felt such a community when I started reading his work that I wasn't the only one who thought like that. Yeah. And... Um, I think he is revolutionizing, revolutionizing theology for our time. I agree. I think he's in, he's making, he's brought Christian mysticism out of the, uh, the archives, Mm -hmm. you know, and then see, that's where someone like Merton for me is in the territory Mm -hmm. too. He's in, you know, this sort of. I call. I mean, the term that Merton tends to use a lot, and other people would say, is "sacred ordinary." That it's, right. it's very plain. Right. It right. is not separate from your ordinary life. Uh-huh. You know, and that's something I like because that appeals to me because I'm not a Sunday Sunday saint. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm not a saint at all. I, I think that it's just the ordinary world and the ordinary everyday life. That, you realize that uh, ordination comes from ordinary. Yeah, right. That's right. I mean, if we start... I've always... It stings me when we separate. Mm -hmm. When we say that this is more precious Mm -hmm. because it's uh, Mm -hmm. set aside. 
or made of something different or it looks different, you know, than this thing. That's, that's, that's one of the tenets of uh, Methodism that I hold to is the priesthood of all believers. We are ordinary and so are those who are ordained. I mean, look at the Catholic Church. And I don't want to get into no, all no, that. No, no, I understand, but, yeah. I do understand because, I mean, I feel the same way. I I understand the value, or at least I accept the value of ritual mm-hmm. in the, in, mm-hmm. from any tradition, where it comes from and mm-hmm. how it how it is used to point us towards something sacred and to help us identify with the sacred, especially when we aren't feeling too sacred. Right. You know, when we're struggling, I've, I've felt like ritual helps. Not just Catholic ritual, but mm-hmm. anything that yeah. you can touch Absolutely. again. Yeah. A formula. Mm-hmm. Even if it's standing in the window at your sink, washing dishes. That's right. Looking out. But if it becomes, once that becomes elevated over... Mm-hmm. Then I feel like we've moved into we move into a dangerous territory that, that mm-hmm. can become toxic very easily, mm-hmm. and then we get into power structures. Mm-hmm. Who well, we, is important and who we, isn't? We um, went to Greece and Italy, and going to the Vatican was one of the worst things I've ever done. Really? Yeah. I it just. Well, it probably looks like a kingdom, huh? Like a. Well, the wealth. Oh. The, yeah. I mean, I appreciate the goodness of the Catholic Church. I have just so much uh, confusion about why it became, oh. why the Vatican I, became what it is. And all of the... That's just, I mean, really, in a nutshell, what I, I mean, this is probably the oversimplified answer that I would give, is that it's like any... I think we're seeing that in America right now, not with Catholicism, mm-hmm. but with um, Christianity is going through that. I think mm-hmm. we we were seeing the power, the powerful, see the benefit of adopting religion, wrapping itself, mm-hmm. government power wrapping itself in religion, mm-hmm. and then that becomes an uh, approved form. And once those two things get blended together, we have a problem. And that's exactly what happens with Catholicism. I mean, you see a persecuted Christianity begin to take hold of Rome as a cult and spread. And then you see a Roman emperor, mm-hmm. politics, realize that, okay, if I want to keep this structure in place, if I want mm-hmm. to keep control, mm-hmm. I just adopt this, make this the religion, outlaw others. And then you have Roman yeah. Catholicism. I mean, it's... It's really just one of the, it's, we've seen it over and again, and it'll continue to happen as long mm-hmm. as humans want power and control. Mm-hmm. And I, it's really kind of a disgusting oh, thing. Oh, it is. It's not at all what God it's pretty, intended. It's pretty it icky. Yeah. 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 Well. And it, what's bad is it builds these lasting infrastructures that get rooted in so much. But what's really wild is you still see good things come mm-hmm. out of them eventually. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, then you, you look at, individually like St. Francis and mm-hmm. St. Therese and oh, Teresa yeah. of Avila and you oh, yeah. go all the, the mystics yeah the mystics and you're like okay when you start to read the mystic works and most of them I mean really it's the sad truth most of them were considered heretics at one time or right. another right. until 
it can yeah. be appropriated properly, right. then it gets the seal. That oh, kind of well. stuff is, I don't know what to even do about that. That's why I try, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to stay wild. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. I really I am. respect that about you because... Um, just un, untrimmed you know, and just let it go. It's hard though. It is. Because when you get into a conversation about religion, sometimes whoever, this is what I've experienced. People are going to talk to you in their religious lexicon. Mm-hmm. And I think about it kind of like uh, on Stark, like sci-fi shows. You know, they, somebody's usually wearing a translator. Mm-hmm. And you'll see an alien over there going, you don't jig, you don't. But you'll hear like English come out. And then when they speak back and forth, they, they're able to communicate. I try to take that approach. Mm-hmm. Because when someone comes to me and they are a Southern Baptist, uh-huh. but we've agreed to sit and talk. I'm not Southern Baptist. I am not going to speak Southern Baptist. It's not where I come from, but I know enough about it. I've lived a little bit of it to where when they begin to use that, I can go, okay, we just, all this is, is just a little bit of language. We're probably talking about the same thing, but they're Mm -hmm. using he, Mm -hmm. him, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's okay. I just let it go and go, you know. Yeah. I let it go. And I've had even people message me on this show. Like, they're like, I don't know how you, you know, that that was uncomfortable because I don't agree with what they were saying. I'm like, well, but you're missing the point of the conversation. Then you've got, I'd, it'd be very easy for me to point at whoever I was talking to and say, yeah, they need to change the way they talk. Mm-hmm. That might not be the case at all. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, I advocate maybe you need to learn what they're talking about so when they talk you understand it Mm -hmm. because they're still reaching like a culture of people they are still trying to do a good thing they're just not quite speaking Mm -hmm. your language it's just like reading the bible yeah it's like you have to like make those mental flips you know Mm -hmm. and that's okay i I don't see that as a bad thing but there are people that just can't get over the language Mm -hmm. part i mean i talk to them all the time yeah and they're like I just can't listen to that because it's just not my language. I'm like, I I get it. Mm -hmm. You know, I totally get it. I understand because it's, you're trying to do something, you're doing something else. You're in a different world. It's for instance, like I, one of the things that fascinated me many years ago was this documentary someone made. They were were in uh, Dharamsala and they were interviewing some Tibetan lamas and they were asking them about Jesus. And first of all, their position, they were so friendly and so laughing and smiling the whole time. I was like, their attitude is so good. They're not, mm-hmm. they weren't really worried about a theology or anything. Mm-hmm. But the interviewer was like, so what do you think about Jesus? And I laughed because he was like, well, I actually know very little about Jesus. But I do know that that's Christians um, mm-hmm. worship. And I know these things. And it was like just the cliff notes. He's like, from my perspective, Jesus would be a great bodhisattva, you know. And he was starting to frame Jesus through his own understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. So see, he, yeah. he but for him, it wasn't heavy. He yeah. didn't feel like he was doing anything wrong. Right. He didn't feel like he was going to offend. He was like, well, you asked me a question, and I'm just framing it through my own understanding, my own mm-hmm. life, my own culture. And I was like, that should be how we all are. Right. That should be okay. That should not be worth fighting over. Mm-hmm. This guy just gave me an honest answer. I gave the interview an honest answer 
and some and I responded to it. And that ought to be okay. Mm-hmm. But we don't live in that world. I mean, there's a it's a fist fight and. Yeah. Kind of drives me batty, actually. That's something that's very. I don't know why I care about that, but that's I've cared about that for a long time. Like that particular thing. I want people to learn how to have religious conversations without losing it or feeling like they need to be right. Convince that other person of their mm-hmm. correctness mm-hmm. or their incorrectness. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I watch a lot of debates and it blows my mind how that becomes where they, they almost all seem to devolve into this arm wrestling match. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, I think there's a lot of pain there that would, if we could just get over that one poison, it would just free us mm-hmm. all up to get along a lot better. Mm-hmm. Politics is like that too. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. <laughs> it's the same type of fight. Yeah. How can I convince because you? Because in that kind of situation, somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. Nobody's yeah. listening. Um, yeah, because yeah, if, you lose, talk about that if for, you're lose, you're wrong. That means what you believe is wrong, and if what you believe is wrong, what else then do you're you believe? Wrong. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an ego. Sometimes it's as a huge ego often. component too. Often, yeah. You know, I, well, I like saying I don't know. <laughs> I have gotten to the place where here lately I say I'm so open-minded, my brains are falling out. I'm more thankful every moment that I found. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Mickey. To learn more about resource management services, please visit the links in the show notes. If you found something of use in this conversation, consider visiting findthegood.news donate, where you can help me continue this good news mission from the Louisiana Gulf Coast. I thank you for going on this road trip with me and for seeking out good news.